Hey, what's up, people? Uh, so today we have on two drivers, uh, both from the Lone Star um, Drift. Which one of them, gentleman, drives a Camaro? The other gentleman drives a Honda S2000, which I love both because they're both not... Um, they're not as common uh, for the S for a drifting chassis. So uh, Robbie Baldridge uh, drives the Camaro, and this season he is teaming up with his name is Jeff. I can't remember his last name at the moment. Give me a second. He's a two K drift, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and he is doing an interesting swap on his Honda S2000. He's keeping it all Honda, which is pretty damn awesome because a lot of people, I've seen a lot of videos online, and, you know, they tend to do, like, an LS swap, and that's great. You know, I'm an LS guy myself, but it's not the same. Uh, it's not 2K Drift. I'm sorry. It's Drift 2K, uh, and that's Jeff Kurtz. Uh, we speak a lot, We not a lot, we, we get into what he actually is swapping into his Honda S2000, um, which is, it, it really is fucking awesome. Um, but I, I really hope you guys enjoy the show. You know, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast on whichever source you're listening it, to it on, iTunes, Spotify, Google, I think I'm on Amazon, I'm not sure. And, you know, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, always feel free to reach out to me on the podcast, uh, the Instagram. You can shoot me an email. I'm actually more responsive via email because I'm constantly on those daily. And if you guys want to follow me on my personal, it's at Gerald underscore Hernandez. Feel free to do so. You can follow the uh, Cadillac CTSV build I've got going on. Again, thank you guys for listening to the show, and here it is. Hello. How's it going, man? Hey, how you doing? Good. Can you hear us all right? I can hear you guys perfectly. Uh, who's this? We got this two. is Robbie. Okay, Robbie, and then we also have... Jeff. Jeff. Okay, I thought it was Jeff. I wasn't sure. How you guys doing? Not too bad. Got a couple of beers, you know, waiting out a rainstorm. Oh, you know, uh, we're supposed to expect one this weekend, and it's the first round of the Drift League. Perfect. Yeah. Rated right, exactly. I was like, huh, so a lot of those guys aren't showing up to round two. <laughs> no, hopefully no one crashes, because that sucks. Yeah, we were at Irwindale for, uh, during Pro 2, and it rained this year, and it was hilarious. It was a mess. Yeah, because nobody has data on that. <laughs> nope. No. Uh, I don't... I don't I don't think anyone does. I don't know what you would do in that situation. Just cross your fingers and hope for the best. Yep, pretty much. I don't know on a bank. It's because we don't have experience with banks. Like, I, I'm not really sure what what the proper setup changes would be. Uh, haven't they? I think they've done like uh, I think it's rained in New Jersey before. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's rain in Jersey. Yeah, okay. So that's a bank, even though it's the opposite direction. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, just for me personally, I, but, you know, we don't, with our series, we don't do any banks. So. Ah, okay. Just you guys are doing Lone Star, correct? Correct. Yep. Nice. And then um, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves, uh, Robbie, Jeff, 
one of you guys, I don't know, play rock, paper, scissors to go first or something? Robbie, Robbie you've been heading this deal. Uh, my name is Robbie Baldridge. I have uh, I have a 2011 Chevy Camaro uh, that I built last year, uh, running Lone Star Drift, a little bit of New Orleans Drift, um, and hopefully some more series this year. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, use the motor out of my old 240 after a wreck, and uh, so I've got about 400 horse and an iron block and a Camaro, and works pretty well for me. But been running. Lone Star for with my own car for about three years now, so pretty good. Nice. And then was that um, a V6 car before you got it? Yes. When I got it, it was a front end wrecked uh, insurance auction yellow V6 auto. Nice. Owned by probably an eighteen year old girl. Um, or a stripper. <laughs> or a stripper, possibly a stripper. Her name's Cinnamon. But uh, it, uh, yeah. So uh, everything had to come out of it, and uh, I'm now have v8 brakes and v8 dip and, mm-hmm. uh, all the v8 parts basically now so nice and then would you uh how long have you been drifting so i i've had my own car for about three years i think i did one event with my with a 240 with a ka uh and made 12 laps before the ka exploded um and then so i rebuilt that car for or with a V8 and a cage and a uh, Rocket Money style kit and drove it for four events or so mm-hmm. uh, and found a light pole hard. And then, uh, so I saved the motor out of it, sold what I could off it and bought the Camaro. And that was September 2017 that I bought the Camaro and was going for round one 2018. Did you make it to round one of 2018? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Actually, I had more time to spare with the Camaro than I did with the 240. <laughs> I'm in the boat right now of doing a similar thing. Exactly. Wrecking my old car and keeping the motor out of it to build a brand, a whole new car. Yeah. A whole yeah, new car I, uh, that, that a LS came out of. And it's just... Right. Money ain't flowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my 240, uh, just because of how everything shook out when I built it, I didn't start caging the car until January of 2017. Mm-hmm. and i didn't have a motor until the end of february uh and then made the i think it was april 1st that year for round one um whereas the camaro i already had the motor built and i started on the cage in october so i actually had plenty of time to get this one together oh, okay. yeah comparatively <laughs> and jeff you want to go ahead and introduce yourself what you drive yeah, Jeff Kurtz, and I drive a Honda S2000. Um, it has been powered by the four-cylinder for, oh, geez, a long time. <laughs> I don't have to go back too far and actually think about it. But uh, basically, it was a 2.4-stroker uh, when we first entered Lone Star. Mm-hmm. Um, round one, we used as a break-in um, on the 24 and then we added nitrous to it and ran nitrous for two and a half years, three years on it. And then got tired of having to fill three bottles for every event. So switched over to a turbocharger setup and ran that the past two years. And then we blew it up. And now we're in the process of doing a engine swap. Hmm. And then just to go back on that, did you do any rebuilding during your off seasons before your engine blew up 
Uh, during or the offseason, it's always for me. It's 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 the off seasons. I've seen to do more work than I do during the actual season, um, just due to the chassis and the nature of it not being a, a very popular car. You know, it's not like your E36, your BMWs, or your you know your 240s where you can go buy you know drifting suspension. I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, drift specific. On, yeah, drift specific stuff. Uh, we're constantly developing our own mm-hmm. um, stuff and having to go through, you know, progression with the sport. Um, and so we're, we've been doing that. It's you know you spend a year, one off season year, you you make one design. Um, you find out what you like about it, what you don't like about it. The next year you go and you know improve on the areas that you don't like. Um, so we've done that. Um, gone in and you know switching from the nitrous setup to a turbo setup we spent an off season working on you know making a turbo setup work appropriately and how we want it to work as far as spool rates and all that mm-hmm. um so that's our, that's our off season and and with losing an engine you know we'd been running that engine it was i you know i put up a good fight i think it lasted four years um under drifting uh with with two and a half years of nitrous being thrown at it and then a, a turbo setup and uh, finally uh, had a I got greedy on a blown head gasket and uh, we lost the motor so now nice. we're putting a uh, Honda V6 in it uh, which V6 in particular uh, it's going to be a J35 it's based off of the it, the current block we're going to be using is a J35 A3 uh, it's out of the O2 MDX, mm-hmm. and then I also have two. That's the J30 Acura, cars. right? Yeah, Acura. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. It's uh, basically the engines that we're using comes from like a 2000 to O2. Either TLS is the um, the 3.2 liter uh, block, and the MDX in the Honda Odyssey came with 3.5 liter crank. So we're going to be using the 3.5 crank rotating assembly in it. Isn't there like a Honda Odyssey out there with like a 1,000 horsepower? Oh, yeah. No, they're, uh, the J series seems to be growing more popularity recently. Um, they're very capable of producing over a 1,000 horse. Mm. Yeah, that's that's nuts from a six-cylinder. Yeah, that's kind of the reasoning. You know, I'm, I always like to try to plan ahead on everything yeah. I do. And... Um, well, I don't see it happening in the near future, but if we ever do make that jump to Pro 2, I want to have a power plant that is capable of producing the numbers that we will need to be competitive there. Okay. And then, so this question's for both of you. Um, what's like your guys's, from, from my understanding, we talked just vaguely, you guys are going to be teammates this year, correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so, we, uh, we're kind of continuing that from last year. We teamed up last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as it kind of goes, um, we had a, a common friend that kind of brought us together. And when I first entered Lone Star, they had already been there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being the new kid, you know, you don't really know anybody. Yep. So uh, at TMS, I happened to be pitted next to them and we kind of hit it off and uh, kind of stayed there since. Uh, Robbie had, before he started driving, he was actually crewing for Anthony mm-hmm. and kind of traveling with him. And then when Anthony kind of stepped away from drifting, uh, he stepped up and helped me out and crewed for me, and at the same time was starting to build his 240. Um, so just we'd kind of already been working together, and 
I had uh, some connections and some of my sponsors, and they were willing to bring on a second car onto their, you know, kind of sponsorship program. And we were already going to the same places, so it made sense for us just to kind of team up and uh, make a team out of it. Nice. That and Jeff, uh, Jeff works at a job that allows us a lot of uh, freedom in getting the car set up properly and um, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of space to work on them and that kind of stuff when we need to. So that helps a lot. That's and we go back, we go back and forth and that kind of stuff. I help him with what I can help him with from work, and he helps me with what he can help me with from work. And so, yeah, everything just kind of works out to have both of us. What do you, if you guys don't mind me asking, what do you guys do for a living? Yeah, I'll go first because mine's not as cool as Robbie's. <laughs> and Robbie say it is it as cool as mine? Uh, I actually work for a racetrack, uh, MSR Houston. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just out the actual Houston limits. Um, so it's a, a little over two mile road race course. Um, and uh, I work in the shop there. Uh, we have a, an on site shop that caters to all of our members. And, uh, you know, it'll basically su- supply a, a facility for, to take care and maintenance their cars, build their cars, or, you know, whatever service they need, as well as when we have track days or driver education days were there to supply help for um, whoever needs you know uh, assistance with their cars gotcha and then you ravi i do uh design drafting manufacturing uh cad cam uh for a company in houston called briley manufacturing and we do uh, all of our all of our business basically at this point is uh firearms so we do Shotgun choke, shotgun parts and accessories, mostly shotgun, um, a lot of gunsmithing, a lot of custom parts. Mm-hmm. But I run, you know, I run a CNC. I have uh, design, you know, full CAD CAM design uh, facilities. So I, I'm able to build some parts here and there that uh, help me help Jeff. And then you know, also have access to our anodizing and um, some of the other things that we have to do for finishing, so we can. Uh, you know, different parts that we make or buy that aren't totally finished, we can finish out. Uh, but it's nice to, nice to be able to build some parts now and then when we have to get something done. Nice. I'm always interested in what people do to uh, pay for their hobby. <laughs> so it's always something different. And uh, Jeff, I didn't. did you say how long you had been drifting? Or if I missed it. Man, I got the bug actually back in 05. Oh, you're better than everyone. Thanks. And uh, no, 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 I'm not. Saying <laughs> I, I got the bug back in 05. Uh, actually, I was going to school at that time. So I'd come home at like 11 o'clock and not be able to go to sleep. So I'd be up watching TV and mm-hmm. I ran across uh, Formula Drift on G4 TV. And <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm aging myself. Um, so yeah, I ran across Formula Drift on G4 TV in the middle of the night, and uh, just happened to see the RSRS 2000 on whatever the first time I was watching this thing, and I had just Who had used my to drive that car. Uh, Alex Pfeiffer started in that car, and then when he left to become a judge, Tyler McQuarrie picked it up. Okay, for that's years, and then it's. It left the series and went on to do various other things. And I actually know where that car is right now, as <laughs> as of Irwindale last year. But um, 
Yeah, so I, I saw it back then, and I, I'd had an S2000. I thought it was pretty cool. And Yeah, what Jeff hadn't mentioned is he's had his S2000, this same chassis, for, what, 15 years now? Yeah, it's getting old. Since 05. <laughs> yeah, he's owned the car since 05. Oh, you, you're the you're a one owner? Uh, I'm second owner. I bought That's the car. That's close enough. Yeah, I bought the car <laughs> in 05. Uh-huh. Um, it was garage kept. Uh, basically, a kid's parents were going through a split, and they were trying to buy the kid. So the the dad, I believe, had bought the S2000 and like all the factory options. And then the mom went and bought an Audi TT. So the S2000 sat in the garage until the kid wanted to get rid of it or whatever. So it had like 13,000 miles when I bought it. Damn. Wait. And I've had it since then. And I've totally molested it and turned it into some crazy little mad child now. So uh, just to get into, I don't know anything about these cars. So what did you do? What are you doing for like your suspension setup, like for drifting? Like what do you, what parts are you throwing on there? So as I stated earlier, you know, basically there's no parts available um, when I started this thing. Um, So I'm on Megan Easy Street coilovers. Mm and I got those because at the time when I was buying coilovers, they had the lightest spring rates. And I know I wanted to soften the car up just uh-huh. because it's such a rigid chassis. So I had originally started with those. Um, the back is basically all factory arms. Um, I have an adjustable toe link and then adjustable upper. Uh, adjustable upper ball joint to knock all the camber out of it because I think camber is really bad. Um and then on the front, we're running modified upper and lower A-arms that we've extended two inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're also running... Your parts custom- are steel, right? Yes, they're all they're all uh, cast. Yeah. Okay. As far okay. as the upper upper and lower arms, they're all cast steel. Okay. Um, so we extended them two inches, put Heim joints on them. Um, and currently, we're running a custom lower steering arm, kind of like how the BMW SLR kit does. Um, Where it bolts onto the bottom of the knuckle. Yeah, so it basically bolts onto the bottom of the knuckle. And um, so we've changed, we've gone through, uh, I got a stack of steering arms in my shop that we've tried and, and not liked and, and gone over. And I've finally gotten to the point where I'm really happy and um, with the system. Um, another thing we've done as of now is switch from the electric steering rack to a, hydro- a hydraulic unit. Um, that's always one I get a good questions about. And for we ran it for, for as of up until last year, uh, we had the electric rack in it, and we were just kind of fooling it to make it drive consistently. Um, I wouldn't say it's the, the best way, but it was a way that we – you know, we were able to do this. And, um, so that's basically our suspension setup on it uh, as far as drifting specific. Okay. And then for you, Robbie, since you have a car, the only thing I know of about that thing or not, not about your car particularly, but about the Camaro is like blue, that blue 808 guy is the only one who makes a kit for it. As of now, that's the only bolt on, Okay. Uh, kit that you don't have to modify that's on the market, okay. uh, and it's a that kit's a full billet knuckle on a tubular lower control arm. Mm-hmm. Now but I know is, why it's forty five hundred dollars. 
Yeah. Okay. And it's nice because it does reuse factory brakes and it reuses the factory wheel speed sensors if you're into that sort of thing. And it's, it's basically, it's literally a bolt on kit. No, that's, uh, that's awesome. Essa and Essa modified the WiseFab, the E90 WiseFab kit mm-hmm. by extending the, moving the forward pivot point of the lower control arm forward and then using E90 coilovers um, and E90 hubs and brakes. Mm hmm. With a couple other little tweaks, but it was basically just extending the arm to actually reach the subframe spacing. Um, you can do the same thing with the SLR kit. You can modify the old SLR kit. You can modify for the E90. I've seen somebody weld a new steering arm onto an S15 uh, YSF kit, which is a little strange, mm-hmm. but it works. Um, his setup is not FD legal, though. That's what and I was going to ask you. Yeah, is that FD yeah, legal? The S15 one was not because he relocated the. Uh, relocated the front pivot on the lower control arm too far, or relocated it at all, which is not legal anymore. Okay. Uh, but, uh, so, and then the other ones that have happened are uh, Alex in um, California. Alex has, uh He built a tubular lower control arm and put, S chassis knuckles cut S chassis knuckles on it backwards like you do if you're converting an R chassis to a McPherson strut. Mm-hmm. You just put you just flip the sides on the knuckles and it puts the steering arm in the right place for a front steer car that the Camaro is. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kit or my setup basically what I did is took the factory aluminum knuckle. Um, I put and the Camaro is a little funny. It has from the factory. It's similar to a Z or a lot of the German cars where it has two lower ball joints on the knuckle. Uh, the lower control arm and the caster arm are two separate arms and not connected to each other. So it kind of pivots around uh, a non-existent point in space, mm-hmm. which does something for driving dynamics from the factory, but it's not great for drifting because mm-hmm. at some point they the two arms try and cross each other and it just binds. That's not double wishbone, right? No, it's not double wishbone. It's still McPherson. It's straight. like a multi-link. Yeah, it's just there's okay. two lower control arms on a McPherson strut. Gotcha. Uh, so what I did was built a tubular lower control arm um, that only uses one of the two uh, lower ball joint pivot points uh, using the one that's closer to the tie rod. And what that did was it actually gave me a little bit of caster trail, actually a lot of caster trail, um, quickened the steering ratio, and made it pivot around only one point so that uh, I don't have that binding at lock from the two ball joints trying to cross each other. Mm-hmm. And it works pretty well. It's a little funny to drive um, if you're not used to it because I literally have two turns from lock to lock. So center wheel center to lock right or lock left is only one turn mm-hmm. on the steering wheel. I saw, um, I saw you posted a video about that. Yeah, so everything happens really quickly in that car. Um, and so slowly at the same time. yeah, but, but hey. it's okay. The car is so heavy that it transitions slowly naturally. So having it, being able to catch it or being a little ahead of it doesn't actually hurt the car that much. Gotcha. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a little different to drive and you have to get used to it. And that steering ratio contributed to some of the problems we had this year that we've managed to fix now, I believe. Um, so, but it's been good. It's, it drives really nice. Um, or I think it drives really nice. Some people might not agree, but you you know, it only matters what I think in the car. Yeah. Well, and the judge. Yeah, that. <laughs> uh, 
but so yeah, that, it's, that it's, was part of the the so slowly at the same time joke is is he's came in at some points in times and has been like, dude, I was ho- I was full hand panic in there, and I'm like, no, the car looked really smooth. <laughs> no, no, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, no, no, you're you're good. It's smooth. I, his car always looks twitchy, no matter how smooth you drive it. And mm-hmm. my car, no matter how twitchy you drive it, it looks smooth. Um, but just because of the size of the car and the weight of the car, it it always sort of looks smooth on track in videos and everything. Have you uh, cut anything out of it to try to lighten it up a little bit? So I tube fronted the front of it. Uh, I saved the front frame rails to the where the original bumper mounted, but I had to cut the whole upper core support off because it was damaged in the wreck that I got it from. Um, obviously, you know, I threw like 150 pounds worth of driver and passenger seat out of the car. Um, I cut like 70 pounds worth of door panels out of the car. <laughs> uh the i've taken out the trunk floor which was you know a solid 20 20 or 25 pounds something like that um but i haven't gone super crazy on it despite some people asking me to um like when i said when alex uh cut the back of his car off at the fd legal line Mm -hmm. right at the rear uh subframe mounting points he only cut 70 pounds off the car then had to rebuild the entire back of the car so while it is, it would be nice for some things, it's, I'm not at a point where that 70 pounds is going to make or break it. I'd rather have the car actually fit together. You know, I think I messed up on my car because I cut, the, I cut um, some of the floor pan out before the rear mounting points. Oh. Yeah. So how much did you cut out? It's about a good eight inches before the rear. It's only in between the two frame rails, too. Ah. So... The trick I have heard from some car builders is you put your fuel cell there and you make your fuel cell part of the floor and then it's okay. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that. So good to know. That's exactly where my fuel cell rear radiator. You could have up to 10 inch holes in the floor uh, to feed a rear radiator. Oh, sh- which I am they put that pull in so that you couldn't cut too much weight out of the floor. Uh, it's, it's not much. I actually, everything else uh, beyond that is kind of cut out. And you know what? Now that I think about it, a lot of it's cut out shit. <laughs> yeah. it's, this chassis is trash anyway, so I was already looking for another one. <laughs> so yeah, we're good. Uh, we're good. Build cre- build snowball is a uh, is a real thing sometimes. Yeah. Drifting. F- fuck this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex had some great uh great Instagram stories, and I have the picture saved somewhere from when he was first building his oh, car, yeah. and he like just. Took a sawzall or a grinding wheel and cut it straight at the rear, the rearmost subframe mounting points. He's got the whole back of the car laying on the ground. I'm like, ooh, yeah, I don't want to do that for 70 pounds. Yeah, uh, he saved 70 pounds altogether, but you said he had to rebuild the whole thing, so he may have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly how the weight shook out. His car ended up about 300 pounds lighter than mine did or 400 pounds lighter than mine did. What's your car but, weight right now? You know, my car is like 3,300 without the driver, but... I have an iron block and a TR6060 trans. Those things are fucking heavy, dude. Those two together is almost 200 pounds compared to his LS3 and dog box. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the, you know, I can save more weight by swapping to an aluminum block than I can by cutting the whole back of the car off and having to rebuild the whole back of the car. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. It's one of those things. 
I like how it fits all together now too. It you know I still have. Did you he like- makes fun. Of me. Jeff makes fun of me too because I still have the factory uh, trunk latch in it and trunk. So do so I. I have an electric trunk latch mm-hmm. in a completely stripped drift car with a cage. Um, well, you still pop it? Under the trunk. <laughs> yeah, I cut the whole floor out under the trunk too. Yeah, you know I did. You know that one thing that goes across, like from tail light to tail light to, for the hood, for the trunk latch. Yep. I kept mine in. I didn't touch it. I was like, I still want it to latch. You know, before I crash it, once I crash it, then I'll change it. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my thought. If I tear the back end off the car, I'll fix it. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things I don't, I don't see the point right now. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing right now, I don't see the point. Yeah. And what about you, Jeff? What do you have uh, taken out of your car? How much do you have done as far as fab work goes? There's a lot of fab work. So... Somebody got the bright idea to speed hole the whole front end of his car. (laughs) (laughs) So originally going into building this car. So a little backstory on the build of the car. So was it 2013, I think, was the first, my first actual full-on drift event. I decided we were going to do this. So I had a cage, put it in the car, and went out to the first Lone Star Drift. I think it was round three is the run I made it to. Um, so the S2000 is great that it only has 30 degrees of steering angle from the factory. So I went out with the two liter engine. It made like 210 horse and maybe, maybe 136 foot pounds of torque, something like that. Um, so like went out and I drove the entire course on lock and like could not use the throttle at all without spinning the car. So... Following that event, I was like, all right, the next thing we're doing is we're going to add some angle to this thing because, like, we can't even get on the throttle without this thing coming around. So uh, ended up drilling. I think I drilled knuckles at that point. No, I had done steering racks, but I forget what I did. Anyways, I got to, like, 45 degrees of angle, and I was like, man, this thing drives amazing. Went did a test session at MSR and the skid pad, and I was like, man, this thing's going to be awesome. Like, can't wait. Next event, we're going to be there. I think it was like when Pro-Am drove with FD at Texas, I think it was the event. And I was like, yeah, it'll be cool because uh, Generate, I think, was just rolling out his S2000 for uh, Pro-1 that year, too. And I was like, cool. I was like, it'll be cool to have like another S2000 there. And uh, so I'm pulling it back in the garage, and it decides it wants to rod knock on me. So, um, so that was the end of my season, one event. It was great. <laughs> and at this point... I had to make a decision on what we were going to do with the engine. Um, another S2000 crank was going to be like twelve or $1,300. And at that point, I found that you could swap in a K24 crank with a little bit of machine work. So I decided that's what we were going to do. So while I had the engine and trans out, I decided to strip the entire car down to a tub. And so at this point, I got just a shell of an S2000. All the subframes are out, all the drivetrains out, the wiring harness, everything. I got a bare tub. Um, I spend the next two weeks gr- taking all the undercoating off the bottom of the car and uh, then putting a coat of paint on it. I cut outside of the frame rails in the trunk, and I also cut the spare tire wheel out of the car. Um, I then take... I think two and inch and a half inch hole saws to the core support, the 
basically anything in the front end that wasn't of structure got hole sawed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. I did all that, and then we put the car back together as a 2.4 liter, and uh, finally painted it. Instead of being black, that's when it first became blue. And um, I think at that point in time, the car weighed the car weighed 25.25 with me in it. Uh, and it's got so we don't have a roof. We have a carbon hood. We have a carbon trunk. The doors are factory doors, just kind of cut up. Um, oh, yeah, I went through the entire wiring harness and deleted everything that wasn't being used. Um, that is a fucking process for anybody who hasn't done it. Yeah. Oh, I got an even better one. I'm currently building my engine harness for my V6. That's a fun one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the car weighed like 25, 25 for a long time. Um, and then... After turbo kit and all that, as of last year, the card weighed $27.50. So that only puts me 150 pounds down of Pro 2 weight. So, and that's with him in it. And that's with me in the car. Yeah. What, I think you can only add, like, what, 50 pounds of ballast? 50 pounds of ballast. So the good news is I can add another 30 pounds with a second battery. And every every bracket tab battery mount everything that's gone on his car in the last year is made out of eighth inch or quarter inch plate. Yeah. So, he's so got a quarter inch plate battery mount. Yeah. So everything I'm no, it's eighth inch. <laughs> Everything's been eighth inch lately. So yeah. So everything we've been building for the car that needs a bracket or something like that so gets built out of eighth inch plate. Just steel. bring the weight up. Uh, yeah. Are, like your, so are your doors hollowed out? Yeah. the The driver's side has the door the the actual door crash beams in them. Uh huh. Um, and I need to redo the drop passenger door cause they don't close that great. Just put um, a, put a stock one in and make sure the windows in it and everything. NASCAR door bars. Yeah. I got NASCAR door bars oh, so. on both sides. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, apex auto works built me one hell of a cage. We tested it and everything. It was great. Um, how, how do you test a, a roll cage? So enlighten, um, enlighten me. Cause I know how to do it. Like I know yeah, how to do exactly. it. Exactly. We did. So, <laughs> So it was round three or round four. Oh, oh, when you got hit by Will. Yeah, it was round three or round four at TMS. And uh, mid-transition, I feel the rear tires go. And I was like, oh, shit, like that sucked, um, which is very characteristic for the ST1000. Um, unlike 240s and stuff, you, you go from having all the grip, and as soon as the tires go, you feel absolutely like no grip. So... Um, so the car starts to over rotate. I kind of angle stall it out in the rocks. Um, Will Parsons was running Pro Two this year. He was testing his SC for Pro Two. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's at this event just to test his SC for Pro Two. Get ready to go. I think they're on their way to um, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. So he's still getting used to this thing. So Will came from a, an '86 Corolla. So Will decides he's going to flick early like he would in his Corolla, but flicks a little bit harder than he should have with the SC just because he's not used to driving this car 100% yet. Mm-hmm. So then he over-rotates and slides backwards into my door. So at probably 50 mile an hour, I'm thinking, at that port on the track. So Yeah, and a 3,100-pound or some odd SC into the 2,500-pound. Yeah, into my 2,500-pound SC thousand. So... 
after the after the impact, I kind of looked down, checked the door bar, and it's still in the same location that it was before I got hit. Um, so at this point, put the car in gear and kind of drive off track. Um, once I get back to the pits, kind of inspect the cage a little bit more. There's no welds cracked. There's no bars that have been uh, bent or deflected in any way. Um, so basically, the door is now got a cage imprint on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get back to the pits, and my wife immediately goes to open the door. And I'm like yelling at her not to open the door because it's closed <laughs> right now. And we still got to go to competition. Um, this was just practice. Yeah, this was in practice. So we still got to go for comp. So I'm like, don't open the door. It's closed right now. I don't have a roof. I can just crawl off the top. Like, not a big deal. So that's how you test a roll cage. I was waiting One. for you to tell me, well, she opened the door anyways. No, no, no. Oh, okay, no, yeah. she's actually, she's very, very good. Nice. Um, so she's she's a huge support of the racetrack. Yeah. Which, it's kind of been missed since we've had a kid now. And she's having to stay home with the kid. It's not good. Robbie the, makes up for it. The funniest one we have. Not exactly. The funniest one yeah, we ever saw was round five was the first year of round five pinball in Lone Star Drift, which was a very mm. small track with no set line. It was kind. Of, it was literally wherever the lead driver went, you had to follow. Worst track ever. Yeah, it's awful. It doesn't work for his car. Or I won't go in the Camaro because it's kind of like threading a needle with a sausage. I'm not going to fit. Um, but. So he blew out second gear because it was a second gear track, and the S2000 is a notoriously weak second gear. Mm-hmm. So he's going first to third on a nitrous-only car, and then there was one section of the track where he had to get back down from third to first, and he did it beautifully about about half a car width too sh- soon. And so we came to a stop facing the end of a plastic barrier, looking straight at it with five cars piling up behind us. And so he just launched it straight into this barrier and split his bumper in half. What I didn't know at the time until we got back to the pits was this real spoon bumper was her wedding present to him that had been on the car for 10 years. (laughs) And he just totally split it in half. Oh, man. It's all right. We duct taped and zip tied it back together and went out for comp. Luckily, the blue that our cars are exactly matches blue duct tape. Huh. Which is an important thing to choose when you're picking a car colors. Find duct tape that matches. You know, did you guys wrap your cars or paint them? They're both painted. These cars are both painted. Okay, I want to I wanna get your guys' intake on wrapping versus painting. <laughs> um, I've been on the fence about it lately. Um, my biggest thing is it's so much, since I run stock body panels... I can go get any fucking asshole's car part that I need. I don't care what color it is, and I can just wrap it. Mm-hmm. It's so much more work to paint it. Is there any reason you guys decided to paint it? So Our shared sponsor, Apex Auto Works. Yeah, hold on. So I had been doing this for a number of years. So we did a base blue on my car. Mm-hmm. And if you go back through all the years of it, every year we change the livery on the car. Okay. So, and every year we were cutting new vinyl and having to lay down new vinyl. At the end of the year, I take all this vinyl off and come up with a new design and we put all the new vinyl on. Well, as of last year or the year before, I decided not putting vinyl because I got tired of doing it every year. And the last year, the livery looked really cool. It was kind of, you know, 80s, 90s. But the problem was a lot of the sponsors got lost in the graphics. Mm-hmm. 
So I had been wanting to come up with a design that was a lot simpler, but still had something to kind of make the car where it wasn't one solid color. Um, but also so sponsors, their names were more pronounced on the vehicle and they could be seen and get the, you know, the recognition that they needed. Um, so I'd come up with, you know, a very simple, you know, just stripe design of the car with being able to keep the colors that we had. Um, one thing I wanted to do was move away from the applying vinyl every year. Mm. Uh, you know, as far as large amounts of vinyl. Um, so I got with Apex Auto Works, which basically takes care of, it's a sponsor of mine and Robbie's, and they've basically taken care of my cage and they take care of all the paint and body work on both cars. Um, which is a lot in the beginning for me because I was a more aggressive than I probably should have been in the beginning, as I think everybody is. So they were having to repaint my car like halfway through the season, um, which they were totally okay with. You know, it was it was understood, you know, that that's the way it was going to be. And even when I would be like, hey, do you mind just touching this part up? They're like, oh, we'll respray the whole car. He's like, my name's on it. It's going to be perfect. It's like, okay, like whatever, dude, like <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you think you need to do there. Um, so uh, we came up with this design. And we worked with Robbie's car to kind of make something that would be similar. Um, we wanted the cars to be identifiable as a team, but not the same paint job on both of them. So that's why there's a little bit of play in the colors. And um, we were both, me and uh, Richard over at Apex were pretty adamant on we wanted to do paint. Just because uh, it's kind of the era of vinyl. You know, as you say, it's a lot easier to do vinyl. And it's very cool to have a car that's actually complete paint, in my opinion, to have, you know, a, a graphic on it that's all done in paint and everything else. And then we just kind of put whatever our sponsors are, we can have vinyl cut and uh, stuck on the car. Okay. Uh, so it's just one of those things that it kind of showcases um, our sponsor of what they're capable of doing. And uh, it gives them, you know, recognition and and it uh, shows their product that they can produce. And even for, you know, a race car, it's... It's crazy the amount of time and effort they put into this thing to make him look, you know, show worthy. Um, I mean, the first time I took this thing out, you know, I mean, it's it's once I got it in the sun and realized how much flake they put in it, it's just really crazy. So the cars are just to give a breakdown of the cars. So the black is just a, a hot rod black, and we decided to go with that because the backs of the cars are usually the ones that are getting beat up the most. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to touch up flat black, and it is the the nose of the car, the nose of our cars are both a very high metallic silver base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have a house of color candy blue laid on them. Um, That's a nice color. Yeah. The difference between our two cars is mine has silver flake that has been laid into the top coat mm-hmm. and Ross has blue flake that's been laid in the top. Coat. Okay. So that's the difference between the two blues that they look very similar, but when you get them in the sun, they they change dramatically between the two. Mm, okay. Yeah, I was always curious because a lot of people will do something different. Like paint's great and all, but to be honest, I I don't let nobody work on my car, so <laughs> I fucking hate doing body work. I hate it. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. So it's just a mess. So I'd rather just wrap it, even though I'm gonna wrap it like shit. You know, eventually I'll figure it out. Yeah, and we have friends that, you know, we have a friend who rewraps 
he just wrapped his Z as one solid color because he had a mismatched door and bumper body kit and whatever. So he just re and you know it, it worked for him. He just throws another piece of. He even he broke a bumper in New Orleans, zip tie stitched it, and then wrapped over the zip tie stitch. And if they're taking a picture from more than fifty feet away, you can't tell. Mm. <laughs> so it's good for him, but um, with with Apex and everything, we wanted to have the cars both be paint and both be uh, something a little different. Yeah, I'm just um, I can't afford I, to, a paint job, so unless I get like some real backing from an auto body shop, it's not. I'm gonna say, man, it's there, there's no way I could have we could afford, especially the paint jobs that are on the car now, without having them sponsor us. You know, it's yeah, and then I I kind of feel bad for asking um, sponsors. You know, for shit, because I know that shit's expensive. Man, I, uh, so, when we got into the, when I got into this thing, I went very gung-ho in the beginning, got sponsors, 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 um, just trying to make this thing affordable, and then, you know, as of last year, I was kind of burned out on asking sponsors for anything, you know, it's like, and it's not even, like, I'm tired of just sending emails and getting, you know, not even a reply back, you know, at least if you get something back, it's, it's kind of like, okay, at least they took the time to say, yeah, no, it ain't going to happen. Like, no you know? thanks, yeah. But when you get no reply, nothing back, it's just kind of a, you know, it's a, it gets tiresome. Um, this year I've been lucky enough to actually get some new people that have been on board. Um, so it's really, it, I, you know, it's, it seems without me driving, it's, I've gone more into marketing mode for me. And uh, kind of been shooting out to a bunch of different sponsors and uh, landed some new stuff that I'm happy to. It's gonna be. It's exciting for me. It's a new company. I don't think they're really in the drifting world, so it's kind of cool to be able to bring some new stuff in. Yeah. And then, you know, Apex. I hooked up with early, and it was just you know they're they're down the road from the racetrack. Um, Richard was kind of always at the racetrack, and um, our our shop kind of contracted any paint body work out to his shop, so we started building a relationship that way. Um, I ended up, it became favor exchanging in the beginning before he kind of was like, Hey, yeah, let's do this. Um, and, and kind of picked the car up and, and went to sponsor. And he has a lot of people that, you know, kind of come and ask him, you know, like, Oh, well, why do you choose to sponsor this or that? And he's like, man, honestly, he's like, we're not making any money on this. You know, he's like, I choose to sponsor people that I feel I have a good relationship with. Yeah. Like, they're going to have some kind of return to me. Even if it's not to the business, we have returns between each other where he calls me up and he's like, Hey, I need assistance with this mechanical problem I'm having. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. Give me, you know, a couple hours and I'll, I'll come help you out. I actually, we, um, he had me help him build a Miata to go run what is called the Chihuahua Express down in Mexico. It's an open road rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had me kind of help him build that as in payment for kind of my first sponsorship with him for my car. And then ended up going down there and ended up navigating for him for the, uh, you know, the week while we were down there. And uh, from then on, it's just kind of evolved. Our sponsorship and our relationship between um, is just kind of evolved. And that's one thing I try to keep with any sponsor I, I take on is, I've gotten to the point now where I'm not just asking everybody for something. I go to a particular sponsor and I won't let up off that person, you know, um, because I want to build a relationship. I have faith in their product and I want to, 
uh, market their product. Mm-hmm. It's not I'm marketing whatever. And being out of Texas, I kind of try to produce as much marketing potential to Texas companies as I can. Yeah. Uh, just because you know, you know, you feed your your local community, if you will, uh, with that. No, definitely. That's that's something I always thought. Like you know, shop local type deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that you know, for a lot of the people we work with, it's you know, support your friends. They'll support you. You know, not just go into every every company we can find, every group we can find, but, you know, we know people here and there and uh, whether they're friends of friends or we race with or whatever, you know, we work with them back and forth and nobody, you know, we all understand now that these days that you're not going to get anything for free, truly free. Yeah. So you, you work back and forth and, you know, you help your friends out, they help you out and it all works out in the end. Yeah. It's, I think sponsors are kind of, it's, I appreciate the sponsors a lot, but at the same time, it's kind of, it's, I hate having to deal with people sometimes, and it's not necessarily the sponsors, it's just kind of like, um, you know, some people aren't as responsive to you, yeah. and you're like, you're like, I need to know if you're going to make a decision or not, because if not, I need to, you know, make something else happen. I think that's what it comes down to. Usually, if I, I get told no, or I come across like a, an issue, rather, or was like a roadblock i find my way around it so sometimes when people don't get back to you soon enough i'm like well shit this guy ended up offering me something but you know i had to make a move at the time so it, that's one thing i kind of dislike about dealing with sponsors um, right it, it's difficult you know you got to be patient but at the same time it's like well shit what if you you need to make that decision you know right then and there mm-hmm. yeah. so it's just a gamble every time the game yeah and uh for lone star drift if you guys want to talk about that a little bit so what from my understanding there's there's a lot of hearsay i don't know the rules i haven't looked at the rule book myself um do you guys have a tire rule as so we've never had a tire rule for the pro-am side of it um a couple years ago aaron developed the txsl series um, because he kept losing a lot of his drivers to go run pro. Um, so he kind of developed this series to kind of retain drivers, um, was the TXSL or the street legal series, if you will. Um, they did have a tire rule. Mm-hmm. It has been kind of abolished as of this year as far as changed slightly changed. Yeah. Um, so the, in Texas street legal, the cars are, um, at least halfway factory interiors, the original rule was you had to have the AC components on board. Whether or not they worked was up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that rule is still in the rule book. Uh, car, you can do it with a bolt-in cage, or now um, you can run TX, Texas Street Legal as long as we're not at TMS on the actual road course. Um, you can run Texas Street Legal with a 2006 or newer car without a cage with factory seat belts, um, which mm-hmm. – at the speeds most of those guys are going, it's not a big deal. Uh, and modern cars are safe enough as it is that uh, at the speeds they're going, they're not really going to hurt themselves. But, you know, you say that now and then something happens. But from what I've seen, we should be okay. Uh, on the street legal side, obviously Pro-Am is still full cages, the whole thing. Um, but the original rule was 
uh, and then it, it was for engines, it was factory injectors. If the car was available factory for that year with a turbo or a supercharger, you were allowed it. Uh, as long as it wasn't a v, uh, forced induction V8. So, like, you couldn't show up with a Camaro Z, uh, ZL1 or anything silly that would just totally destroy the series. Mm. Uh, the couple exceptions to that rule, the original rule was if you were driving an 8.6 Corolla, it didn't matter what you put in it, you were still going to lose anyways um, until someone won <laughs> the first year with a 1UZ Corolla. And so now it's any 2-liter four-cylinder um, is allowed in a Corolla. And then the... Uh, K or 240s can run KAs with 370 cc injectors and T25s, mm-hmm. T28s, whatever it is, um, just to make them competitive with the SRs without people having to find an SR and put an SR in. Um, okay. So, and then up to up until this year, they were required to run Kenda KR20s. Um, the problem was for certain chassis, the Corolla specifically, and some of the, and Miatas. I think the Miatas, finding tire sizes that would work on a Corolla or a Miata in a Kenda KR20 was a problem. So like 15s? Yeah, 15s. It was a problem. Okay. So for this year, he's basically allowed anything up to a 265, 35, 18, uh, as long as it's not an R compound tire, like a RT615K or an NT05 or a Nexen or um, Infera or whatever. You know, basically just non, non-full-kill race tires yeah. uh, up to 265 is what he's done for that class. But in Pro-Am, we're still unlimited. Um, I know a lot of the Pro-Ams have gone to the 255 rule, but we have so many people that drive, I would say 90-plus percent of our series, our Pro-Am drivers, drive on the KR20 in 265-35. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, even even on my cars, some of the higher horsepower cars or Jeff's car, you still get 12, 15, 20 laps out of them depending on the track. Uh, pretty easily and they make decent grip uh, for what we're doing so you know we all run them because it it's cost effective to run them uh, even compared to a tire half the price you're still saving money by running the kinda from what we found in texas um, and we have three or four dealers that we deal with for them uh, but yeah so pro-am is is open totally open um, fd rulebook minus the 255 rule and the see what else oh yeah and we don't we don't require don't require fire systems and halo seats and hanses for everybody like some of the uh classes some of the pro-ams do yeah we don't have a we don't have to have a hans in in just drift or the drift league right um i'd heard southwest was maybe going hans next year both jeff and i actually wear hanses and we will both have halo seats this year i don't have a halo seat after uh, I can tell you, after going headfirst into a light pole, that uh, a Hans is a really nice thing to have. You know <laughs> so what? I, I want to get a Hans too. I didn't. I didn't. I just, it's worth the investment. Just yeah, the, I feel like it is. Um, My he's wear, he wears a an original Hans or a Hans. Yeah, I got an original Hans. And I, I wear, recommend. I wear Hans. a next gen Rev Two, um, which is really comfortable, really lightweight, and is not as uh, restrictive as the original Hans is. I mean, it's a sliding tether, Hans, but it's still just not as it. I got a really good deal on mine, and that's why I have it. Um, if I was to go out and purchase a new one, I would probably go with the Rev Two. The, Rev the other two? thing is, what are those yeah, Revs? I gotta Rev, look that up. Next gen's Rev Two. 
because uh, they go out of date in five years. You can resert it. Yeah, you can get all of the Hanses reserted after five years, but the Rev Two has lifetime free reserts, so you don't ever have to pay to get it recertified when it goes your, out of date. You just got to pay your shipping to send it in. Yeah, just shipping, and if they have to clean it, you have to pay for the cleaning. But that's minimal, really, um, compared to a full resert or replacing the thing. Yeah, and uh, for what? There, shit, they're only five hundred bucks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's worth the investment. Holy like, shit! I think I'm gonna get one. I don't want to. Yeah, they're it, they're totally worth. And I, you know, I feel more comfortable in the car. What, uh, uh, how how tall are you? I'm five seven. What do you mean? I'm, how yeah, tall you are? yeah. I'm about five seven, five eight, depending on the day. Jeff, you're six two. Yeah, and I, I have a car with 18 miles of headroom, and he has a car that his head sticks out the top of. So I do not. That's funny how <laughs> that works. I have a big ass boat. The key. I got a I got a big old boat too, and I'm only like five six. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Jeff's so tall, they designed the cage to cover his head up to protect him, and now he can't put a roof on the car. Oh, <laughs> I don't need no damn roof. It, you, well, it's kind of nice. I tell you, the only time a roof, the only time I wish I had a roof is the smoke problem of a convertible. That's the only time. Oh, you really wanted one that day it was cold and raining in mineral wells. Yeah, just, I didn't just put a day. cloth top on it like the Jeeps have. I, uh, I have a Lexan Porsche rear window that I've cut to make a roof now. Mm-hmm. No, I meant like for the sun, because you guys are out in Texas, right? Doesn't yeah, the problem, I, I don't mind the sun. I got a helmet on. I'm okay. The uh, problem with that Lexan rear window is it turns the inside of that car into a greenhouse. Yeah, but I can imagine. Like uh, on this car, I actually have the sunroof still in the car. Mm. So the last one, I just I could, took it out completely. Yeah. And it sucked ass. Yeah, my 240 had my 240 had an aftermarket sunroof installed in it at some point before I got it. Uh, that didn't work, so I pulled that one out. And the previous car that I had worked on before um, had a sunroof. We replaced it with a piece of clear Lexan, and that was terrible um, because it was the greenhouse effect. So I made I made two uh, two sunroof covers for my car out of opaque black Lexan. Um, and one of them, I, ha- I had them both cut by a friend who had a, uh, a CNC cabinetry company. So he was able to cut the Lexan on the CNC. And so they had the holes around the edge in exactly the same place, but one of them had vents in it. So I could take the solid one off and put the vented one on. Mm-hmm. Um, I had it all riv nutted in so I could just remove it and put it back on at the track pretty easily and just carried both of them with me and it worked great. Um, but yeah, that. The sunroof thing is a little tricky. I'm glad I don't have one. What do you guys require for like safety equipment? For safety equipment and pro am, obviously welded in cage. Uh-huh. I still don't think he specifically requires wheel intrusion bars um, off the front of the cage. But you know, most of us build the cars that way anyways because it's a good idea. No, definitely. Well, yeah, his car. The front wheels are about six feet from his feet, so it's not a big deal on his car. Um, the, so cage, uh, obviously harnesses or does he allow factory seatbelts in Pro-Am? No, it's harnesses if Uh, you have a cage. cage. Um, and that, what, what is the event, event organizer's name? Uh, Aaron Losey. Okay. That's what I thought. I just wasn't sure. Guy who runs, uh, Lone Star Drift. 
So cage, uh, seats and harnesses, obviously everything attached. We've had issues in the past with people trying to get by with seatbelts not attached in the car and sharing seatbelts between multiple cars. Um, they always get caught eventually. Yeah. So, so there's the people that are born stupid and there's the people that try really hard to be stupid. Yeah. Um, Aaron I was fucking walking, love that. Sorry, go ahead. Aaron was walking through grid one day and reached, because he just walks up and down grid and grabs everybody's seatbelts and makes sure that their seatbelts are in the car and they're tight and everything, the passenger's good. And he grabbed this guy's seatbelts and pulled all five points out of the car through the window. What in the yeah. actual fuck? Why would you do that? People, this guy laid belts in his car, went and got it teched. Nobody noticed. Drove back to pits, pulled his belts out, threw them in his friend's car, and his friend got teched. Um, and so, yeah, that happened one day. And so he's, you know, it, people try all sorts of stuff and, you know, you've seen it. It, it kind of fucks it up for everyone else. Cause then you kind of like ruin his trust. Like he's like, nah, I got to check a fucking seatbelt. Every single yeah, you one check of them. Everybody's seatbelt now. Yeah. You, people are. Dead. Yeah. So beyond those things, obviously a helmet, um, we allowed the OT helmets and pro-am even, uh, what's an OT helmet? Just a, a motorcycle helmet, not a not a uh, SA race yeah, car helmet. helmet. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, minor differences, but it technically there is a difference, but usually there's not. I don't, I don't uh, see the the speeds we're at gonna gonna be an issue. No, the, well, the real difference in them is the SA helmets are fire rated better than the DOT helmets. Ah, and then for all of us running alcohol, that might be a problem. <laughs> right. So. Uh, so, and then we don't require, uh, in Lone Star fire suits or, uh, gloves and fire gloves and fire shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reasoning behind that, as we've all talked about is most of our events are over a hundred degrees outside temperature. And most of us drink like a fish and not water. Um, so the danger of heat stroke is, uh, a lot more real than the danger of fire at our events. Yeah. And you know, that may not always be true, but we've definitely had a lot more people have a uh, heat stroke than have the cabin of their car catch on fire so far. Okay. I'll be wearing a suit next year. Cause I caught on fire last year. Do you guys yeah. do for you two, do you two have a cool suit or a fresh air kit? I had a cool suit and I don't use it. He has a, yeah, he has a cool <laughs> suit. He doesn't use and he has a convertible. So yeah, his whole car is a fresh air kit. Um, <laughs> It's not. <laughs> I could have just imagined just baking in the sun. Do you wear a suit, Jeff? Uh, I have in the past. Depending, like Usually if I, at the parking lot events and stuff, I hadn't. Uh, usually when I go to TMS, I'll, I'll take it with me, um, along with my arm restraints and everything. Um, but uh, next year I'll probably wear a suit all, all season. It's the, it's the smart thing to do, honestly. I mean, these... Even at the pro am level, the, the, you know the things we're building nowadays to go run pro am. You know, it, it is a possibility. You know, and, and the more safety gear you can have, everything the better off you're going to be. Yeah. In the long run, it's it's only a matter of time before something happens. Something does happen. You know, and uh, and I would imagine you guys do wear gloves with the fucking sun beating down on your steering wheel. Yeah, he and does. Shifter I, and your handbrake. I actually don't. Uh, yeah. Robbie's pretty OG. He's uh. I still have a stock shifter in the car, and the leather doesn't get hot. And the uh, the the wheels we use can get warm, mm-hmm. uh, but as long as they're on, at least mine, as long as it's on the hub, uh, it's pretty much out of the sun. Uh, we both use uh, Superior Steering Wheels, which is a company out of Texas here that 
custom makes aluminum uh, welded aluminum steering wheels. Uh, for most he does a lot of dirt track and a lot of uh, some monster truck and some other stuff, but they're super light, all welded, uh, nearly indestructible wheels, and the 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 grip of them, the ring around the outside is almost a, a soft bed liner. Uh, new stuff's even better. Uh, I haven't it's got more rubberized. I need to try the new one. Um, so you don't have the you know the weird suede on on uh, non suede gloves or uh, leather on your hands kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing because it's not suede or leather and there's no stitching. Uh, if when we come out of the cars and we have a bunch of downtime, like if we're waiting for the street legal competition to go, we'll pull the uh, steering wheels out of the car and toss them in the cooler because you can't hurt them. Okay. There, if you don't, and if you're not partial to one of these steering wheels, I do recommend checking the company out. They're really, really affordable. Um, they're super lightweight. Do they have three bolt steering wheels? They have three bolt or six bolt. That's still they're completely custom, so he'll make them however you need to be. What, what's the name of it again? Superior steering wheels. Um, and the one of the biggest things he does, if you look at the like. He, a normal normal tuner wheel or most of the normal aftermarket wheels, the spokes are in the center of the uh, ring, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. He mounts the spokes to the back side of the ring, so even if you have a, the bad habit of sticking your thumbs inside, the spokes are farther from your thumbs uh, than they would than they are on a normal steering wheel. So they're right. less likely to get. Do they grabbed. come up as a superior automotive? No, no it's a superior, superior steering wheel. Yep. Oh, hang on. I, my dumbass hit covers. And another thing is, as of last year or this year, he's got lifetime warranty on him. So if there's any deflection, any bending in him, oh, shit, I like even, this. If, this even, if you're in, even if you're in a wreck and the steering wheel bends, he'll fix it or replace it. This yep. is actually the same. I was looking at one from Long Acre. Um, yeah, yeah these are way better. They're similar, but the Long Acre ones are thinner on the spokes. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but do yeah, they, does do... he make a like a quick release well done? Uh, uh, no, because maybe I don't think so because they are aluminum. You gotta remember they're aluminum wheels; they're not steel. And most of your quick release stuff is steel to weld onto your steering shaft. Yep. Well, yeah, just the just the actual um, what is it? The spline piece that you weld on is steel, but everything else is aluminum. Yeah, so I'm I mean, it's good. I, I mean, just, the best thing I can say is message him. He's 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 pretty quick to respond back and everything. Yeah, and he'll make anything you want. Like I, I actually need to get uh, get mine tweaked a little bit because the the Camaro hub uh, steering wheel hub only goes on one way, unlike the 240. And the my, so my wheel was set up for the 240 with the space in the six bolt pattern at the top, and the Camaro has the has a bolt top dead center. Um, so my steering wheel's off center, and I I got to get with him to make it. But he's like, yeah, no problem. We'll make it however you need it. Yeah, but, uh, we'll make it any pattern, any whatever, he, as any, long as he any, can do it. Uh, basically, any ring diameter or steering wheel diameter you mm-hmm. need, any back spacing or offset that you want it. Mm-hmm. If you want a flat wheel, if you want a super dished wheel, I mean, it's you can do it all. And that's what I was going to ask. Uh, Robbie, what do you have? Because you and I are around the same height, but we also run a – it's not a similar car, but I've sat in a Camaro before. And they're mm-hmm. kind of similar on the setup with, like, the pedal feel and the wheel. I don't mm-hmm. know about you, but I don't like my wheel too close to me. I like by having my, my elbows bent just a, a, a hair mm-hmm. or not too much. 
But I also don't want to be reaching for it, the steering wheel, yeah. either. I found I like being a little closer to the wheel than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I because I retained the Camaro column, I still have a, teles- a manual telescope and tilt column. Shit, so I didn't I even think about it. that on mine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I retained all that, so I still have adjustability in it. Um, I retained mine, too, and it never moved. Shit, I gotta go double-check. Okay, because, put it this way, okay, my first Cadillac I had, I wrecked it, but mm-hmm. I forgot that you could actually move it forward and back. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> right now, when I was I was fucking with it earlier today, and I was like, damn, this stupid thing only goes up and down. But I don't have a steering wheel on it to check, so now I'm gonna go yeah. fuck with that. Um, yeah, and then, uh, so, because I built everything i didn't you know i there's not like i was going to buy off the shelf seat brackets or anything for it yeah um my main hoop in the cage is in line with the b pillars right at the back of the window mm-hmm. um my passenger seat is sitting you know an inch off the main hoop or whatever it is uh all the way back my driver's seat is sitting almost six inches off the main hoop um to get me in the right place in the car and about four inches taller than the passenger <laughs> seat I can see around the front of the passenger. I, um, I feel like Jeff is, you know, being being a little of a dick to shorter drivers. Right <laughs> <laughs> his car's actually not bad. I can fit in his car. I just I know that's what I figured. But you know what's crazy? Like, like for as tall as I am, I sit a lot closer to than I should. Do you? Just, you know, yeah. I, I I've always I don't know what it is. I've always felt like you should sit like be comfortable and still be able to control something. When I sit like too close. And I have mm. to bend my fucking knee to get to the next pedal. I feel like that can be an issue for me and cause yeah, me to wreck. Yeah, um, part of it is I, I've i always owned trucks that I've always driven. And with trucks, you're kind of always sitting upright and knees are bent. And so you get comfortable driving like that. Yeah. Uh, whereas people who own cars their whole life are used to being a little more stretched out. Mm-hmm. So I drove a, makes- You guys know what a Jeep Xtra is? Mm-hmm. Drove one from the time I was uh, 19 to 29. I, I'm, barely, I'm gonna be 30 in two days. I barely got a truck a year ago, so the seating <laughs> change has never changed. And then I had my Cadillac. That was the only time I had to sit a little lower. But I'm used to like sitting upright. But even then, like you're still kind of stretched out for the most part mm. because your feet, you know, you don't have to like really like pick up your whole damn leg to get to the brake pedal you know you just kind of like move your damn foot over yeah the thing that killed me about my friend anthony's car um that i i didn't wasn't a fan of was to get the clutch or the gas all the way down i had to stretch my toe all the way out um and so like i i find it easier to work with a little bit of leg bend and move back and forth um just because i'm used to it you know, it's everything like about that, about the ergonomics of your own car is personal preference. True. The funniest one though is I let uh, let Rudy, <laughs> who, who drove a couple of Pro Two rounds this year, drive my car at TMS uh, during one of our Lone Star events, and he gets in my car, and looks at me, and goes, "You put your seat in a better position than I did in my car." <laughs> and he he fit a lot better in my car than he did in his own. It was kind of funny, but uh, but yeah, it's it's just. You know, the, you, you don't realize until you actually start working with the cage and the Camaro. My The lower door bar that's straight from the A-pillar to the main hoop is four feet long in my car. It'd probably be about the same as 
Yeah, your Cadillac's probably similar, but the I think the upper one that has the two bins in it to be the NASCAR bar is almost five, was almost five feet of tube per side. It's just everything's big. I think I used almost eighty feet of tubing to build the cage in that car. Actually, the person who originally built the cage in my car did a fucking terrible job. Um, <laughs> so, like, if like, you would just have to see the welds, like a lot of them are kind of cold, and it was mm-hmm. it was done up in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know when the cage was done. But mm-hmm. he might have did it on a cold night when he probably shouldn't have been welding in a cold <laughs> shop with cold metal, um, which I recently found out how that works because I bought a welder. Mm. Um, and you can just see, like, there's just so many issues. And then, like, my B-pillar or the the main hoop is too far forward. The guy, Ooh, I, bought the, the, the guy I bought the car from is, like, an inch taller than me. Huh. So it's like, not lined up with the B-pillar in the car. It is, but it's lined up with the front of the B-pillar of the car when it should have been pushed to the back. Since I have ah, a four-door, it could have been enough. back like three or four inches. Mm-hmm. And that would have made so much room because I was trying to move my seat back. And I was like, oh, I'm fucked. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. So It's always tricky, um, especially when somebody else built the cage. Yeah, it's not to shit on him or anything. I, you know, He built it for what this person set it up for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But... It's it's one thing you learn. That's why I, that's why I'm trying to learn how to do all that fab shit myself. Because it's like if I fuck it up, it's like, hey, I fucked it up. Not I have nobody else to blame. Yeah, and that's how I. That's kind of how I got into it. My friend Anthony, we were talking about. So it was, uh, he had a 240, a stock 240, and I helped him help him out. We went. To, he went to one drift event with it, totally stock, uh, and burned through the wiring harness in the front fender as usual. And then the car caught on fire, and then we didn't have a clutch safety switch for the rest of the day. It was fun. Um, and then I helped him helped him turbo it with a SAFC, which was uh, really special. That car ran so rich on the SAFC. I, at that time, I was riding motorcycles, and I was riding behind him going somewhere, and my bike was running funny because his car was so rich, it was blowing raw gas out the exhaust pipe. Uh, so my bike was running rich following him. And then, then we went mega squirt on the car, and drove it for like two events mega squirt, or he drove it two events mega squirt, and then that, like Thanksgiving, we started on that car, uh, tore everything out, caged the car. Um, I had a bender at the time because I was doing other stuff, uh, but I didn't have a welder, and he had a welder in space, so we just used my bender at his shop, and uh, built that car out completely. Put a V8 in it, you know, the whole whole thing, uh, you know, Junkyard 4.8 that we rebuilt actually worked, is still running in another one of his cars. Uh, got that thing going, ran a year, a year with the car red with a V8, and then it got, then it got painted gold or tan, ran another year, and then at the end of that year, it got painted blue. Blasted dipped. Yeah, it was actually dipped both times, which was pretty great. Yeah. We had a real a friend who was really good with plastic dip, uh, and then um, it got wise fab and a bigger cam and four a four six rear end, and he ran two events like that, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the year. So the no, said, he ran three yeah. events. Yeah. He ran three events because we ran round one, round two. We went to mineral wells. That's when it was like three degrees. I yeah, think. y'all left early. Yeah, and that was the event that I picked up my 240. I sat in the rain. I had done all day. So that event, it was so cold and rainy that 
Jeff's windshield in the convertible was fogging up, um, which was pretty impressive. And the only way we could figure out to keep the windshields from fogging in any of the cars was we went to Walmart and bought gas station squeegees. Uh-huh. So we have video of Jeff and Anthony going around the track, uh, entering turn one, reaching over, grabbing the squeegee out of the passenger seat, squeegeeing off the inside of the windshield, ditching the squeegee, transitioning, and then grabbing it again and cleaning the windshield, like the whole way around this track. Uh, it made for great video. It was awesome. That was a terrible event. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Jeff went through four t-shirts because his exhaust kept falling off and he parked his trailer in a puddle. Um, I got that sponsorship worth, though. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, that year was, that event was the event I picked up my 240 and then the next event, Jeff was still driving, Anthony was driving and I blew up the KA in 12 laps. Um, and then, yeah. And then I started on the V8 build in my car. Uh, but about that time, Anthony got rid of the S13 and got a really clean S14, put his V8 in it and is still street driving that car. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, you know, going back to how I got started in this whole thing was helping somebody else. Uh, and at some point in there, we met Jeff at TMS. and met this weird guy that decided to drive a Honda. Yeah. Drift him in. I forget what you broke that we were helping, or we broke that you were helping, or something. I don't know. We've, oh, I forgot we my 916s, and I needed it to change the nitrous bottle out. <laughs> that's right. That's what it was. Yep. Uh, I bet that's the only standard... That is like the all. Well, no, all the suspension arms are standard now. But anyways, that, it's that was. You had a. Oh no, you didn't have a fourteen either. That was the crazy. No, I forgot thing. the wrenches at home. He had all his wrenches. He had no wrenches on the car. So, so do you guys have like a car background at all? Like from uh, other than drifting, of course. You guys, did you guys grow up around cars or anything like that? So I, I grew up uh, racing boats. Actually, racing sailboats. Um, and how do you, how do you race school, a sailboat? Huh. I, I, I don't. I'm gonna imagine cell belts don't have motors in them for racing. I don't. No, we don't have motors. We just. Yeah. It. Uh. It was. It's interesting. It's. It's good racing. Uh. It was. That was, ten plus years of my life, and my parents. Uh. Raced. My father was professional, and so it. Uh. It's just kind of ran in the family. Um, That's my fucking awesome. Still, I think I saw that. My brother's in a professional one. now. Um. Still. And, uh, yeah, he goes all over the place, all over the world sailing. Uh, but so I grew up doing that. So I was, you know, we were always competitive and racing something. But when I got into high school, I had, my first car was, uh, an 03 Ranger. And I was Sweet. <laughs> with an open diff. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was an edge. So it, yeah, it was open diff, but it had four tens and it had the 8.8 axle, not the seven five. Uh, but it had the, cause, you ain't, no, cause you ain't no bitch. Right. It had the <laughs> terrible three liter in it. Uh-huh. The, th- <laughs> the, the engine that's worse than the four banger. Yeah. Uh, so, but, so I was, you know, and I was into mechanical, sort of into the mechanical side of everything, uh, even on the boats, you know, always playing with the gear and whatever. Uh, so, you know, I started doing silly thing, exhaust and intake and whatever on the truck. And it, I was actually looking for headers for the truck. And on JBA's website, JBA Headers' website at that time, they had their show truck with their headers was Camberg's uh, Ranger Edge that they raced in uh, Moore or Snore uh, in 2000 and 
that would have to be 2007, 2008. Um, and I saw that truck with the, you know, there was a pre, you know, desert race truck. And so that's kind of, uh, the direction my Ranger took all of a sudden very quickly. Um, had a, had the kit that they raced that truck on in the front. Uh, I had leaf springs in the rear instead of the, uh, instead of the links that they were running. Um, and at that time, when I graduated high school, I lived for a year in San Diego. So I was actually, I was, you know, I was using it in the desert and going out to Glamis and Ocotillo and wherever else with it. Um, but then came back and did a few more things and then stupidly decided to engine swap that truck. Uh, and after three years, it never got finished. So I sold it and sold it and sold the bike I had at the time when I got the 240. Mm, okay. And throughout that whole process, I was working, you know, uh, from 2012 or so on, I was working on Anthony's car um, pretty much every weekend for at least a year. And then, yeah, at drift events and everything. So it was just kind of a convoluted way of getting there. But, I, you know, I was always racing. We were always racing, always competitive. And so, it, you know, doing something in competition just made sense. It's always made sense. Yeah. What about um, you, Jeff? So I've, uh, I guess you could say I've grown up under a car or a racing family. Um, you know, early on, my dad was kind of did the, you know, street racing, more of the, you know, eighth mile drag stuff. And, yeah. And, what, did you, uh, what did you have in the garage growing up? I'm, a, I'm an uh, old car fan. There's a bunch of cars. The most iconic one and the one we always go back to is a 69 Nova. Um, it's an iconic which is car. Crazy. If post, you think about post that, or no post? What's that? Was that a post car or a no post? I have no idea. Don't ask me. I don't, I don't know muscle cars for shit. <laughs> I'm a Honda kid. You gotta remember. Clearly. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you want to have a 69 Nova, and like he was telling me, like at the time, I think around like a 14 second quarter, which is like fast. And that's like at the time I was buying my Honda, I was like my stock car runs a 14 second quarter. Like I don't understand it, but it's just amazing how fast cars are now nowadays. You know, you look at stock cars now, and they're in you know sub 10s. So yeah. But, um, so yeah, we done that and, you know, growing up, the Nova went away and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, he started running, uh, solo or autocross, if you will. Um, and I kind of got into that. And then that's when about that time I was ready to buy a car and bought the S2000. And the whole reason for buying the S2000 was that was kind of the dominating car at the autocross events. Oh, Okay. So and that where, was what you wanted, right? Like you were out looking for an S2K. You didn't just happen to fucking like one fell in your lap. No, no, yeah, that's that's kind of how it went. Is you know like that was the car I wanted. That was the car that I knew was fast and was kind of the fast. you know that's the car that was winning championships. So that's the car I wanted to go and to. It was more reliable than your car at the time. Oh yeah, so I started in the DSM world, which I don't want to talk about. Sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually have a soft spot for those, so I'm not going to say anything. It's there's a few there's a few imports that I I kind of like. There's like a, the Evo, the DSM. So and the mine R32. was <laughs> Yeah. So mine was a Dodge Stealth. Oh, you don't get to say a DSM. That's that's so mean to any Mitsubishi owner is going to be like, "Fuck you, liar." Okay, so the first car was yeah, yeah. So the first car was a Mitsubishi Eclipse. Uh-huh. What year? For Gen Gen One non turbo. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I had that car for a very very short time, and then 
Then I got the Dodge Stealth. I wanted a three thousand, but we couldn't. You know, yeah. it like it's like, oh yeah, let's get this Dodge Stealth because it was cool. Because it says Stealth. And, and yeah, and the my name mom is picked, sick. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and my mom picked it out, right? Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, whatever. It was bright red. And uh, so why I owned that is when I started learning how to pull a handbrake. Um, hmm. Like everywhere in, in got, any parking lot. I got a relatable story for that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from then, like I said, when I was going to actually get a car that was going to be mine and, and get to claim it and all that, I, uh, I wanted the S2000. So I got that. And at that point in time, I was looking at running solo and all that. Um, graduated high school, decided I wanted to work on cars for a living. Mm-hmm. So went to UTI, um, did uh, automotive and diesel um, Regret doing the diesel just because I don't use any of it. It was kind of more money that I spent than I should have. Um, ended up getting a job at the Honda dealer and worked there for about five years. Um, got picked up by a mutual friend that worked that had a, at the racetrack and basically invited me to come help out one night at the at MSR Houston where I work on a uh, private car. And uh, which was an, actually an old, I think it used to be a Red Bull E36 car. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. It, it's got a long racing heritage and all this. But uh, so at that point, worked on that car, got hooked up with Michael Mills, and ended up going and crewing for him at a NASA national race up in Mid Ohio. Um, and went back to working at Honda, you know, still working at Honda at this point. Uh, the general manager from the racetrack had an S2000, was basically bringing it to me, knows that I had one, and I started servicing his car. So I kind of hit him up and was like, hey, if y'all ever get an opportunity or an opening, like let me know. I'd be interested in coming to work out there because I knew they had a shop. Um, I basically got a phone call one day asking me to come if I'd be interested in working out there for a weekend during a 24 Hours of Lemons event. And I said, you know, I got nothing else going on. Sure, why not? Like, let's, let's try this out. So I worked out there for a weekend. It was basically a job interview. Um, so the second day of the event, he kind of approached me. We talked numbers, and he said he could make it work. He said, give him a week to kind of work things out. He called me. He said, all right, when can you start? I said, let me get my two weeks here. And from then on, I moved to MSR. Um so I'd kind of been dabbling with drifting on and off, you know, I, I, like I said, I got the bug back in 05 and not knowing any events or anything going on in our area at this time. I think daily drifter was the organizer at that point. Um, so as with anybody, I think starting out in that kind of time frame, it was, um, you know, watching whatever videos you could find and, um, going out in your parking lot going up, finding parking lots in the middle of the night and trying to do what you were watching in the videos. Um, working at the racetrack, I just kind of got involved more in time attack. I was looking at building the car, maybe go around time attack. And then, like I said, about 2013, I decided that I really wanted to go do drifting. Like, that was what I wanted to do. The road racing stuff was cool, but it just wasn't my passion. Um, so we decided to go attack this drifting thing. And ever since then, I've been kind of educating everybody that I work with, with road racing and everything and letting them know how to, 
you know, it's been a journey for uh, the people that work in the shop with me to understand, you know, a professional or a competition drifting car versus, you know, a fun car, which I always say there's two different kinds of drifting cars. There's the fun cars and there's the competition cars, you know, the, and uh, try to explain to everybody how much grip we're actually throwing at these things on a competition level. Um, you know, they always think that the cars are really stiff, you know, to be able to kick them out sideways. And it's like, no, 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 like we're generating grip and, um, we're using you know, they power kinda, to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. So they're, um, uh, they, they've kind of all went through a learning curve with me and along with me as, uh, we've learned how to set, you know, geometry and make this car competitive. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're just, uh, I'd say my goal right now is, you know, I want to be back at the top tier of our Pro-Am series. You know, we've been there before and, uh, we've kind of had some rough breaks and, you know, I got a expanded family now. So my budget isn't what it used to be. So same here, man. We're slowly making our way back into the series and, Actually, what we're looking at possibly is making a trip out to California with the two cars. That'd and, be cool. Where and, you go play with, Ka- and go play with the California kids and Wait. see what these uh, quick change in dog boxes are all about. <laughs> uh, not everyone has a quick change in a dog box, buddy. Because I'm going there with a regular diff and a Synchromatch transmission. I got a diff with aluminum housing that's... Uh, if you, Feel free to look up CTSV rear diff and how many of them have blown. Is uh, it uh, is it the same as the uh, or similar to the G8 diff? No, it's a, it's actually the same fucking diff as the Saturn Sky. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he worked on a Saturn Sky race or a Solstice yeah, we, race for a while. We, we campaigned two Solstice GXPs for a while. What year were they? Oh hell, I don't even know, man. Because it depends I, on the if there was if it were the later models. They one of them was an early model, one of them was a later model. The later model has the same exact. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the later model has the same exact diff crazy. as mine does, and you got to remember, mine comes with four hundred horsepower factory, and that's at the crank. Granted, and it weighs twice as much. Yes, yeah. but. <laughs> With all, you know, it's supposed to be like a Cadillac, so they want, they still want it to ride smooth, but they want it to be fast. So from factory, it's fucked. Um, All rubber bushings, everywhere rubber. They're terrible. Yeah, they're the worst. So So now it has poly ever everywhere or solid, and uh, they blow diffs like there's no fucking tomorrow. Huh. Jesus. What part breaks? Is it the reindeer and the pinion that fail, or is it the spiders? It's the housing. Oh, the housing just snaps in half. That's cool. Yeah, that's the worst part. So, so there's like a there's a Gen one diff, there's a Gen two diff, Gen three, and Gen four. So I don't even have a CTS diff. I actually have a diff out of a um, uh, an XRS. Jesus. So because it's the only one that came with like a three ninety one. So I welded it, Mm. and uh, I changed the uh, what would you call it. The piece that connects to the drive shaft are a little different. One of them takes like a, um, like a Guibo. Yeah, like one of them takes a Guibo. The the uh, the XRS takes the Guibo, but the CTS, the CTS V rather, takes a six. I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, CV joint. Yeah, it's a CV joint, but I'm changing everything. So, 
Uh, it'll take the CV joint. I won't have a Guibo anywhere. And then it'll have a yoke on, because I have a Muncie transmission. So it's like a four-speed. Basically what the yeah, dog boxes are designed <laughs> off of. The yeah. original dog boxes, rather. Nice. Um, so And that has synchro gears in it, so I'm sure I'm going to blow that shit the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing I got lucky with on mine was... Uh... Because my car was originally a V6, it had a smaller diff, mm-hmm. smaller axle, smaller brakes. Um, but the I was able to get a complete set of front and rear subframes, uh, like knuckles, brakes, diff, axles, uh, steering rack, the whole thing, um, and hubs for both ends. Uh, so now I have a lot of spares, but also I got the, the upgraded diff. But what I found out very quickly was... The way the factory drive shaft is set up, it's a two-piece drive shaft, and the mm-hmm. front half is specific to the transmission. One of the four transmissions that were options, and the back half is specific to the differential. But the carrier bearing stays in the same place. Oh, nice! It's the same and has the same spline count. So the, when we first tested my car, I didn't have the V8 the SS diff welded yet. So I was actually able to uh, do the original dyno run and some early testing with the V6 diff with the V8 trans, um, just using the V6 diff and axles and everything. And then what was, what was your gear ratio on the V6 diff? Just to, to know the diff. I believe. A what? 327. Holy shit, that's so high. Right. And so the, the, the funny thing about the Camaro is the, the V6 auto gets a 327 open diff, uh, 7.6 inch ring gear the okay. v6 stick shift the v8 uh stick shift and the v8 auto got 8.6 inch ring gears in either 345 or 327 depending on which combination you had that sucks and what yeah. do you have for upgraded options so for the v8 diff you can go up to 430 or 456 i think you can get a set of 456s for it if you need it holy shit uh I'm using four tens because I like how the car drove in the two forty. You know, the uh, the four ten on that kind of the I don't know the exact gear ratios for the the sixty sixty. I know that they're similar to the T fifty six. They're a little bit they're close, but they're a little bit different. Yeah, the, that's what I'm uh, saying. They're similar, but I from my understanding that's like an ideal setup. Like a lot of the two forties with the you know, the LS, the 5, you know, and the T56 are normally on, like, 4.9s, 4.10s. Uh, yeah, the uh, the TR6060 is the, the fourth gear is the same as the T56. Yeah, 1-to-1. One one. One. Yeah, 1-to-1. One one. And then 1 through 3 are shorter, mm-hmm. uh, which gives you a kind of a funny jump between 3 and 4, but it's not too bad. Um, and then 5th and 6th are actually shorter in the T the 6060 as well than the 56. Um but the 410 is a is a nice gear ratio in my opinion, and I'm turning 7,500 RPM on my engine, so uh, on smaller tracks I can get away with running second and driving it between like 7,000 and 7,500 RPM, okay, uh, and keep the car under control. And what are you doing for what is your valve train like on a 7,500 RPM limit? Because <laughs> the uh, the GM Performance CTS VR lifters were designed for the CTS VR Le Mans car, um, which they had designed that car to run Daytona around the oval, turning 8,500 RPM. So which uh, lifters are those exactly? I, I could get you the part number. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, GM sells them as the upgraded 
lifter. They're either called ceramic check ball or CTSBR. They're um, not the LS7 ones, right? No, they're different than the LS7. And people always say, like the Camaro guys always say, uh, oh, I'm going to put LS7 lifters in. Like Every lifter that GM has used since 2006 has been an LS7 lifter in a factory car, other than the DOD lifters. But... Um, yeah, all the all the lifters are the same, including the LS7. Since the LS7 came out, basically, okay. uh, the CTSVR ones have are a little bit different internally and a little bit shorter body height. Okay. Um, so you'll see reviews on them. If you if you find a set of lifters and you're not sure if the reviews say I put these in and I had terrible valve train noise, those are the ones you want. You just have to get longer push rods. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Yeah, you have to get the push rod size correctly for these lifters because they are shorter bodies than the LS7s. Um, but in the 240, we ran this motor to 8,000 RPM in the dyno uh, with no valve float. So that was uh, that was the thing. We were designing the motor to handle 8,000. We just don't quite have enough flow in the uh, from the cam to do it on this engine to keep making power up there. We don't, we stopped making power about 74, 75. Hmm. Okay. I- yeah, I did because I'm on an LS6, um, and I've been contemplating doing like a 4.8 crank in there and rods. And see so that would put you at the aluminum version of my engine. What, do you, um, what iron block do you have? I have a 4.8, or what was a 4.8? And you bored it uh, out. So I got it for free from Aaron, who yeah. runs our series. I pulled and he because he had bought it to take the accessories off of to put on a Jeep or something. Um, so I bought the long block from him, uh, or bought. I got it for free from him because he didn't want it. And we pulled it apart, and it had seized a wrist pin at some point in its life and shattered a piston, blew up one hole in the head. Mm-hmm. But the bottom end, other than one rod and one piston, was fine. Um, and that bore was bad. So we went to 3905 bore, which is uh, seven thousandths over your LS6. Mm-hmm. Left the 4.8 crank in, put some Wiseco pistons in, did uh, PRC stage two and a half heads, milled down to 58 cc chambers, um, 660 lift valve springs, titanium retainers, hardened keepers, uh, 3.8 push rods, the CTSVR lifters. Uh, went through the oil pump uh, to get the oil pump working as best as possible. Uh, all the good stuff, basically. Um, I'm using the Holly High Ram intake, which people always will say that it doesn't make power down low. And I ask them when they're going to use under 4,000 RPM during drift. drifting. Yep. Yeah. Um, solid question. <laughs> like I don't remember the last time I was under 4,000 RPM that didn't involve putting around the pits. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, so that motor in the 240 made 417 at the wheels um, at 7,500, and. Uh, but it's been good, other than uh, one little mistake. How much torque did it make? <laughs> That's the funny thing with the short stroke and the high ram. I made less torque than Jeff's Honda on nitrous. Um, I made 333 foot pounds. But there, mm, that's what I was kind of worried about because I was, I wanted to do like the 5.7, obviously, because you can't bore out an LS6 or LS1. Um, well, but you just answered my question, so I won't be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Now, to be fair, I've never really. There's like. What fuel are you on? Pump gas. Uh, yeah, pump gas is E85. So 93. Okay. 93. Sorry, 93 pump gas. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, regular yeah. or premium pump gas, not E85. Like we don't. Some. 
sitting next to me. We don't get that fancy stuff over here. We get 91. That's the shit. Ah, corn's a pain. The problem is... The problem is our track in Mineral Wells is 40 miles from the nearest E85 station. So I just take 20 gallons with me. <sighs> Mine's on my way to the track, and I live eight miles from Irwindale, so... Yeah, so you're all right. Yeah. Uh, but even even uh, TMS, there's not uh, corn for, I think, 20 miles. And and TMS yeah. is Texas Motor Speedway, for anybody who's confused. Right, I'm sorry. sorry. Okay, we just making sure, because, you know, some people live in Canada. Yes, Texas Motor Speedway, where they run Formula Drift Texas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Texas Motor Speedway, I think it's 20 miles to the nearest corn station. Uh, I don't know if they added it to that Bucky's or any of those new stations around there, but I don't believe they Bucky's have. usually doesn't carry ethanol. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's for me, for my engine, I have no need for ethanol at this point. Um, the engine is really happy on 93 pump gas. and uh, Don't turn into it. Yeah, unfortunately, we're making a little less horsepower in this car than we did in the 240. I think uh, the driveline's a little heavier. I've got uh, Weebos in the uh, in the drive shaft. Did you have the 6060 inside the uh, 240? No, the 240, I had a T56. And I was actually going to set this car up to run the T56, um, but it worked out that I was able to sell the T56 and basically get the 6060 for about the same amount of money. Um, so it made mounting it in the car a lot easier because I was able to use all factory mounts and subframes and all that good stuff. Because the TR6060 shifter is about six inches back of the T56 shifter. Um, so that made a big difference to the fit of the inside of the car. But uh, the TR6060 has a fluid pump in it to run through a cooler, and so that's just robbing horsepower um, everywhere which is what it is. It's kind of nice to ha know it's there, but uh, it's really unnecessary. What series do you run, Jared? Uh, me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Drift League, but I, depending on how cash flow is, since uh, I kind of got a promotion recently at work, uh, mm. if cash flow is better, uh, I plan on running the Drift League. Obviously, I'm not making round one because that's this weekend. My car's... Literally doesn't have the cage done yet, and I just ordered parts for it uh, tomorrow. <laughs> um, and this weekend, I'm ordering like some parts. I need, uh, but I kind of want to do Southwest. Mm. And I also, how many, yeah. I, I, so how many how many events do y'all have in y'all's points series? Four. Four events, and what's the entry fee of those? Uh, for the drift, uh, it de it depends. I think. I don't know this year because I obviously I haven't paid for that. Uh, for last year, it was one seventy five per round, if you paid early. Right. And late payment was like two hundred, I think. That's not bad. And are they one day events? On. That's that's a one day event, and that's the drift league. Um, for just drift, someone can feel free to. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 250 an event at Just Drift. And those are two-day events. It's a Saturday practice uh, for rounds one through three with a Sunday competition. And right. then on their fourth round, it's a Friday practice with a Saturday competition. But you can pay 800 bucks at the beginning of the season. And, and the yeah. Yeah, and so that's one thing. We've had questions or people worried about in the past with, of uh, 
you know, people always worry every year somebody's going to show up with some ridiculous car and blow everybody out of the water. That just, doesn't happen. Just to just to get their Pro Two license and get out of the series, right? Get out of Pro Am. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've had people say, "Oh yeah, it's no big deal. I'm going to come to Texas and kick all these hillbillies' asses." And didn't um, happen, right? Well, so there might have been one guy who showed up with a Procharged Winners uh, Dog Box Nitrous LS S13 with Wisefab, mm -hmm. who may have lost his first battle to a Honda, uh, and then parted his car out a couple weeks later. And that's that. <laughs> I don't understand why people do that. Like I know yeah. what I'm doing. I know I'm building. I'm overbuilding my car. I get it. And but that also comes with because I want to do that. Like I like yeah, building because you cars. Want to build a I want to build a car. Not only do I want to be a good driver, I want to be a builder. So right. exactly. some people just kind of like, I don't know. But so people always worry about someone showing up to our series from out of state or whatever with this ridiculous car and just smoking the whole field. But the truth is, like, even y'all series, uh, even though a lot of people have maybe more built cars than a lot of the drivers in Texas – we have a seven round series. Nobody's looking to show up to a seven to do a seven month series just to try and win a pro license quickly. You know what I mean? Um, it doesn't. It wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. No. Whereas, like, they can go to hyper if they know for a fact that they can kill everybody on the track and it's not going to be a problem. They can go to Hyperfest and do it in a weekend. Which there are three this year. Right. There are three yeah. three one off events that give you licenses this year. Mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. I think there's the same one that happened last year. I know, yeah. from my understanding, there's one that's going to happen at Sonoma. Okay. Up in Northern California. And then there was another one I can't remember, so don't fucking hate me. Right, which means it's insane for someone to show up, even to the Drift League with four rounds or Just Drift with four rounds, but for seven months of driving. And think they're going to kill it. Yeah, to think they're going to kill it for all seven months and, and you know, not get messed up on a track or whatever it, it's a huge time commitment uh that's unnecessary if you're going to show up if you can do it in a weekend so that's why like jeff and i don't worry about some random guy showing up with a ridiculous fd car uh, and just taking the series because it's not going to happen i mean it has but it, battle FD. the likelihood of that actually happening is slim to none right yeah you know, it's like just for instance, when there are easier options for those people like uh, Brandon Sorensen. Mm -hmm. uh, he got his li he got his license at Hyperfest last year, right? Yeah, but he yeah. wasn't guaranteed to get it. He just he drove his ass off and got it. Right. Yeah, and I mean, nothing against the people that go to those events and win those events and do well. I mean, they obviously they're driving well and their car's good and everything. Uh, but for the people, you know, there, there's always always people oh, freaking out in our series that sorry. someone's going to show up and take the whole series and, and, and real quick sorry not to cut you off so that was a double elimination round he got eliminated once right so i just wanted to throw that out there so just go ahead yeah we had we had one friend who was at that at that event jp went jp went to that yeah um i don't remember how he did but obviously he didn't win um but he said that would be a cool track i would love to go drive that track mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just it's a long way to uh, uh, over there to drive not as much as we get to drive at our events because all of our events are two-day. Um, and because we've gotten rid of qualifying, we've gotten rid of like four hours worth of one person going at a time. Um, so we, we get a ton of driving in and a ton of tandem time in. 
And that's, which is great, but I want to ask you guys, what are your guys' goals for this? Do you guys plan on going to FD? And how are you going to be when you get to FD and you actually have to sit there and qualify? So when I was, when I started the Pro-Am series of Lone Star, we still had qualifying. Okay. Um, Does it bother you or do you don't care? So I'm torn. I'm I'm one of those ones that is torn between because I I do really enjoy FD. I, I, it is a passion of mine. To, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said yes. I don't want to go run pro two. You know, um, and I think the majority of people would that say they don't want to run pro two or they don't want to go pro drifting are, are lying through their teeth. Um, now, as a reality of it, we're a long ways away from being I think where we need to be to be run running pro two. And I'm very happy running Pro-Am. Um, I think there needs to be a Pro-Am, just as there needs to be, like, club racing and road racing, if you will. Not everybody can go race, you know, World Challenge. You know, there has to be somebody to kind of set the bar to get you into World Challenge. And I think that's the, what the Pro-Am is there to achieve is, you know, to set the bar of, you know, yeah, you need to be, you need to win every event or be on the podium in every event before you make that leap to Pro 2, in my opinion. Um Otherwise, you're just you're entering something too soon. Um, but I've ran qualifying. I actually do very well in a qualifying for myself. Um, I do miss it, and we're we're in a weird situation in our series. I think drifting in general is where you got the people that want to do fun events and play events, and you got the people that want to run more competitive series and events. Um, Aaron has done a really good job of maximizing track time for us um, with eliminating qualifying. I've still wish we had some form of qualifying, um, not so much the entire field because we're seeding at least 32 cars every event. Um, just and, and just in to, our pro am series and up to 60 or 70 in pro am at round one typically. Yeah. Um, so that'd huge. be a lot of cars that run through qualifying. But I so with our current system we have tiers that set our brackets up. So I, I campaigned to Aaron and a couple other drivers. We had a big meeting on this of running a top eight qualifying. So just your first tier would qualify. And what it would allow them is the top, top three qualifiers would get a couple extra points for the series and it would shuffle that top bracket. Cause typically once the series starts going and you start gaining points, your brackets pretty much stay the same. So the problem is you end up battling the same person over and over again. Um, they've done a good job recently of shuffling the brackets to where we're not having that situation. But what qualifying says a small, it, it's a huge part, but it's a small part of driving. Um, in my opinion, I think the more tandem practice you can get comfortably and develop your skill set a lot better, the better off you'll be in a pro condition. Because qualifying just gets you into the show. That doesn't progress you through the show. And really, if you're if you're serious about it, and you're in practice, uh, even if there's a car behind you, you're still running a qualifying run theoretically. So if you're serious about it, you're lining up like it's your qualifying run and running your lead runs like they're qualifying runs. You don't have the pressure, obviously, but you can at least get the practice in on running single laps. Um, and it, the doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's the pressure of qualifying or the pressure of running on the big stage under the lights or whatever else in competition. Um, it's really hard to replicate the pressure 
of showing up for a qualifying lap or a tandem battle, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... I don't know. I could go either way on the qualifying. It's... Uh, it would be nice to have for the top eight drivers, like you said, but um, I think that the drivers can probably get enough... or The drivers believe that they can get enough practice... Yeah. Running their lead laps. Okay, but now my next question is because it's this is I, I actually would really like to get Aaron Lucy on here, um, because you guys had mentioned how you know your brackets different. So let's say you don't have qualifying, and then some of your a lot of your rules are different. So you guys don't have obviously don't have qualifying. You don't have a specific tire roll. You don't. You're not even required to wear a fire um, suit, which is understandable. I get the heat. I understand all that. But what is that doing for the drivers that are going to to FD? Like, how is that? How the guys is that... that are going to FD, and we've seen it uh, at least with Rudy for sure, will show up, and you know if they know they're prepared. going to an event, they will show up and they will put the suit on and the Hans on and the gloves and the arm restraints and everything and drive a whole event like they're going to drive it. But you got to remember the majority of our with eighty plus drivers running. I think last year I checked, we had. Looking at the results, we had something like 140 total drivers between the two series and that those... got points at at least one round. Okay. and that's Not a... everyone is going to FD. Not and... everyone needs to show up in a driver's suit. And not that everyone who wants to go to FD or not everybody who doesn't want to go FD isn't like ruled out from Pro-Am, I want to say. But I think that... Oh. And that's what I was saying earlier, you know, like there needs to be a program series, just like there needs to be club racing and road racing yeah. or, or your, your weekend, you know, oval guys, you know, they need to have some kind of series to get you to set the bar to move on to the next level. Um, and I think there's a, uh, forgive me for cutting you off. I think with the way um, you guys have it set up now, I think that is great. It's just my personal opinion. So it doesn't, doesn't mm-hmm. fucking matter. What your pro am series is what I think is what's a happy medium missing from a grassroots competition like their street legal series. We have it over here too, um, mm-hmm. and a actual pro am event. Right, and so I guess what I'm the real point of you know with not having qualifying and not requiring the suits and the arm restraints and the hans and the whole thing, it it moves the responsibility from the event organizer to prepare you for FD. If you want to do it, mm-hmm. it puts that responsibility on you. So if you want to get prepared for FD, you show up in a suit with your arm restraints and your Hans and everything. You go out and you drive like it's a qualifying lap. You go out and drive like it's FD. The difference is you're able to get a lot more track time and a lot more tandem time because of the bracketing um, than you would at, Say a standard, you know, you show up, you Vegas get drift. Yeah, you show up, you get thirty third in qualifying, and then you sit out for four hours. Um, whereas anyone who shows up at the cage and wants to drive in competition at our series will get at least one tandem lap, or at least two tandem laps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've had people that showed up at like their first event and pushed through four or five tiers. Amazingly, um, started from the bottom and pushed their way all the way to the top or shit. We have one guy last year showed up in street legal and had really not drifted other than a set of Corsa um, and podiumed in his first event. Yeah. And that's, it's, 
but he basically, you know, you get thrown into the deep end of tandem. You're not running a qualifying and then realizing, oh, well, I got one point outside of, um, outside of the show. And now I'm sitting on the sidelines for two hours or four hours. Yeah. But then, okay. So I understand that. But like, what about the guys who kind of thrive under pressure, so to speak? You know, pressure's still there. Oh, there's, there's pressure. <laughs> I, I, just, on, uh, I don't want to say there isn't because I haven't done it. So when I do it, I'll, I'll say there is. Um, Basically but, just think of it. Every, every lap is you're battling to stay in the, in the show instead of battling for that okay. point. Instead of instead of battling for you know your point to qualify for the show, you're already in the show. You're battling to stay in the show. Okay, <laughs> that right there, uh, kind of yeah. answers my question. So we're, my, we're question, single, my question, it's still single elimination. So every battle means if you don't win, you don't move on, and you're out. And that's just in practice. No, this, well that's this in, is comp. Practice. That's in competition. Oh, well, yeah, I'm talking about actual. See that okay? That, maybe I didn't explain my. So question. we run practice a lot differently than I think everybody else does. We run kind of an open lapping kind of style of tracks, which are good and bad. Recently, um, well, I mean, open lapping in general. So we we'll, we have basically a singles line, and we have what we call a tandem line. So there are two separate lines. If you're going to run a single pass, which means everybody knows you're not going to be, you no one's going to try to follow you or anything like that. You line up in one line. The starting grid guy will send you off. You know, once the appropriate gap is set, he'll send the next car. And then we have the tandem line, which is kind of up to your lead driver. And your drivers following that will set how many cars we're going to send at that time. We typically don't send just two cars at a time to go run a tandem practice. No. We'll typically send four to eight cars for a tandem lap. Um, yeah, and if you want to so, try pressure, try so being your like lead number guy, three. So your lead guy is just out running his qualifying line. You know, he's going to run a qualifying line. The rest of your guys are all in a tandem battle. They're all running a tandem, you know, a chase behind the following guy. Mm-hmm. So by that time, you're able to speed the process and the moving lines through the car a lot quicker because you're sending four cars out at a time instead of one car, two car, one car, two car, you know. And the... I don't like the hot lapping because what happens is people start staying on track. They don't come off. Um, I'd like the single runs a lot better because you're sending cars. They're done with the lap and they're back in line um, as far as keeping cars on track for an extended point of time. Hmm. But so, again, you get more because if you think about it, basically everybody knows how to lead. It's mm-hmm. basically you against the track at that point. Yeah. Your chase is where everybody struggles because they, nobody gives the gets the opportunity to chase someone. Yeah, that's People are very uh, hesitant to let anybody chase them. And I can understand why, but you know who will let you chase you? Uh, I usually don't worry who's chasing me. I'm first fast, but <laughs> I also don't worry about anybody staying there with me either. So. Next question is: How would you feel about chasing some noob who you know is gonna mess up? Um, so I give the approach and here's the deal in practice. I never chase more than one car gap. Um, and that's because it's practice. It's not competition. I set that car gap and I don't let you get outside that car gap because I know in competition, if I set that door gap, I won't let you get outside that door gap. Okay. And that's the way I look at it. Um, 
that way, because in practice, I mean, it's practice. Come on, you're not going to win the event on practice. So give yourself a buffer. Don't let you lose that buffer. Um, and that's the way I set my chase. That gives you enough room to make an adjustment when the noob screws up in the lead run. Um, mm -hmm. When I just said, when Robbie was starting out, he was, was uh, he was learning the Camaro, <laughs> but he you know he needed the he wanted to be able to lead and you know he wanted somebody there with him because it's a lot faster to go through the tandem line than it is to go through the single car line. So I would let him lead me. I'd give him a car gap and I would go run after him. And then I'd chase Jeff down with a two-car gap, or better, or more, um, just because. The other, one Every, thing about our two cars, uh, that thousand-pound difference in car weight, uh, or nearly thousand-pound difference in car weight, means that if I get on the brakes or the handbrake or anything, uh, my car eventually stops. Where his car stops right now, so I have to leave a little bit of space for him, uh, just because my car will slide forever and ever. Uh, especially on the handbrake, it'll just keep going. Um, and so it, it's kind of this funny balance of trying to keep the cars together. And that's one of the funnier things about us being on a bit of a team together is it uh, like the polar opposites of the cars and uh, trying to tandem with each other is pretty funny. Hmm. But like the hey, problem I had... The wheelbase is completely... What are you at on the wheelbase? What is it, like 109? <laughs> I'm 112 on the wheelbase. Holy shit! Okay, what is what is uh, the SC1000 at? I have no. Robbie uh, would be better at this. Robbie I had no, it. I had it all saved all at one point. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm shorter than a 240. I know that. Yeah, so I'm. But longer than a Miata. I'm 15 inches more wheelbase than a 240, and 12 inches more overall length. The S2000 is 94 and a half inches wheelbase. Um. And I sit on the rear axle. Yeah, it's really um, <laughs> the strangest thing about his car is if you're used to riding in 240s or anything bigger. Uh, yeah, and I'm 112 and a half inches, so that's uh, 18 inches difference in wheelbase between our two cars. Um, but the weirdest thing about the S2000 is if you're used to driving or riding in 240s or anything else. Um, you you have a feel for how close to a wall you can get the back of the car without totally ripping the back of the car off. Mm -hmm. um, in the S2000, you sit about two and a half feet closer to the rear bumper than you do in a 240. So when you're in the passenger seat... When I go seat, into the wall, I go into the wall. Right. When you're <laughs> in the passenger seat of his car, you always think you're going to die anytime there's a wall anywhere near the back of the car. Um, it's it's just this feeling you get that it's like, well, okay, I guess we're just going to die here. Um, this is it. <laughs> Yep, it's it's all over because you're literally two feet closer to the rear bumper in the S two thousand than a two forty. And you know, not to cut you guys off, but to segue into somebody who's going to get into drifting competitively, <laughs> unless you're fully committed. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible idea. It is. Tell me about it. The Camaro would be all right. Um, here's the here's the deal. All right, so I started in the S two thousand, and I've been in the chassis for a long time. A lot of people think they're going to get into drifting, and they think the SC1000 is a cool car. So they're like, oh, yeah, let's do this. It's rear-wheel drive. But it's it's completely designed not to go drifting. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. And, uh, you know, we've we've got years of development on this thing, and uh, and I've been driving it from its stock form. I'm very comfortable in the car. Um, 
and that's a hard thing to explain to people and let them understand that it does not handle the way your typical chassis does that a lot of people choose to go drifting in um we were laughing because uh what was it last year when that video habino's s2000 went around a whole bunch yes uh this video kept popping up all over the place jeff kept getting tagged in this video of habino driving the s2000 in japan uh, but it's a 2j car with s13 subframes under it um so there's no S2000 yeah, no, It's an S2000 <laughs> chassis, but all the subframes are opposite. They're not. They're all 240 subframes. And that's kind of a weird... Even talking with Chris uh, Jenner, he's he's coming from a 240 base, but he, he has a, a, you know, a love for the Honda chassis and all that, and he's trying to make it work. Coming from a 240 moving to the S2000 was, a, was very hard for him as far as the driving aspect, I think, um, just because of the way the two cars handle so differently. So we kind of have a, a like goal, but opposite views. Um, as I talk to him, he's trying to make his car handle more like a 240 while I'm taking the natural characteristic, characteristics of the S2000 and improving on them. Um, and that's just because that's how I'm used to driving. I'm used to driving a very snappy car, and that suits my driving. While I think he's coming from a car that flows a lot better, um, and he's trying to make it handle that way. Mm. <clears throat> what and then for what fuck both part of my french both of those <laughs> cars are really great platforms to start with because they both come with okay so the s2000 comes with you know it's it's actually a great car from factory like let's not shit on it i'm not a honda guy i actually hate them i don't hate them whatever but they're a great car to start with for something like this, especially even though you say like it's not a great drifting chassis, but it's a great platform altogether to have. It's a great road racing autocross car. It's okay. a good engine. It's a solid chassis. So, it makes good rear grip. So is the Camaro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, if you're just getting into it and you're going to taste it, then why not? If you got an S2000, why not try it? Um, if you have as far as a competitive standpoint, it's going to take a lot to make you competitive and be at, on the point of Yeah, but everything's going to take a lot. Like, you know, nothing nothing out of an S14 yeah, is yeah. stock. Like, you know what I mean? At, Every little thing is bolted on. Like, granted, they make bolt-on stuff for it. But not, the, the difference exactly. is... You have bolt-on equipment. I've well, been... he doesn't anymore. Well, not anymore. <laughs> but as I'm saying, it's majority of these cars and the people that go to choose it, the majority of the pointing in the stick cars, if you will, have stuff that, as far as drifting goes... They have stuff that's already in production. It's already there. And they can just purchase it, buy it, put it on. And I think the chassis has been developed for years and years and years. While as the SC thousand, it's still an underdeveloped chassis when it comes to drifting. There's still not a lot of market there in the drifting standpoint. At and least in today's current drifting, because no one's really sat in one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of a weird spot that I'm put in, you know, because I'm not really part of the Honda group anymore because I'm in drifting. And I'm not really part of the drifting group because I drive you're in a, a Honda. Honda. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like fat bastard. You eat because you're unhappy. You're unhappy <laughs> because you eat. Like, you, what are you gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. do? <What? laughs> so, it's, some parts of that car are great. The rear suspension, and really on most modern chassis, the rear suspension is good enough. And there's parts available for the drag racing market to make them drift with the rear suspension. Mm -hmm. But the front on his car, you moved your steering rack, or you, so. You, you put the hydraulic rack in, which was not a Honda rack, and you moved it, what, almost six inches? Yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> to get it into a place that actually worked for drifting. 
um, just to get the car to f really have the right bump steer and everything else going on to get the car to function. Um, and so it's, for him, that's kind of a tough thing. I've only moved my rack a little bit uh, and still, you know, factory rack and all that stuff, and it still works. Yeah. Uh, but it, and the Camaro is probably an easier chassis for someone to learn to drift in because um, the, the S2000 feels really awkward, but it's yeah. really fast. So like just... in the Cadillac, just the relocation of my rack would save me so much fucking grief. So there's mm -hmm. two or three other drift CTSVs. Mm -hmm. uh, two of them I know have modded knuckles with right. a lot of uh, geometry corrections to the steering. The problem is um, when the st in the stock location of the rack, the inner tie rods are at full lock, stopping to go to get more angle because they're actually hitting the lower control arms where the uh, the front shock would attach to the lower control arms oh right because you're double wishbone correct so if they just had if they were if they were a forward that's my current lock stop on my car is yeah the, if they were forward a couple inches like mm -hmm. let's just say an inch and a half maybe two inches like it would free up all that fucking space yep so that's, and that, that's the nice thing about the camaro subframe is the uh the rack has four bolts that bolts straight down into the subframe from the top through the mm -hmm. rack. Uh, and that whole area of subframe for like six inches on either side of it is totally flat. Um, so the way we ended up moving the rack in my car was I actually cut the threaded bosses out of the bottom of the the uh, subframe and shifted them both forward seven-eighths of an inch and then welded it all back up, plated it all back in. So it didn't take but, you know, a couple hours to, to do uh, and that was enough to get my tie rods off of my lower ball joint pivot, uh, or my lower ball joint bolt was the uh, stopping point. It would try and over try and wrap the tie rod around the lower ball joint. Yeah, because I like okay. So I'm going through uh, drift knuckles to do mine. Mm -hmm. He did my last car, so I was like, he's like, hey, because uh, he's local to me. He's like, when your car when you have them bolted up to your car, I need to come by and make some measurements because his thing is he's like, I need to make sure that. Cause there's a lot, there's a, there's like, there's a few other people who are interested in doing it on the Cadillac. He's like, I need to make sure I can, you know, fit these for other cars. He's like, so, you know, when you're, when they're all bolted up, I need to go look at it and take some measurements and I might have to re cut them and re weld them. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. But right. he's trying to do it in the stock location. But as me, maybe other people don't, wouldn't do it. I don't mind. I don't mind, uh, relocating the rack. Yeah, it is necessary sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen on this car, and I don't mind doing it. I'm trying to, you know, I'll have to, like, relearn geometry or learn geometry in general because I didn't take it um, and kind of go from there. Right. So, but we'll see. And that's that's the thing about people who are getting into this who don't want to use an S14 or don't want to use the S chassis or something that's already been proven. They want to do their own thing. I think you gotta kind of follow it long enough to know what what's needed. Right. Yeah, as I was saying, I mean, it's anytime you grab something that isn't in the cookie cutter, I mean, there's a lot of commitment that's involved. Just yeah. To save and and that's yeah, that's a big thing. It's the commitment because I think it's uh anybody can do it. I'm I'm very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, I don't know. 
I always believe in that anybody can do anything they wanted to do if they, you know, if they really wanted to do it, they'll put their mind to it and they'll get it done. That includes looking up a fucking YouTube video. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's just to start. Like, if you can do that, then you can look up how you can, you know, geometry and seeing what, you know, if you can figure out geometry, uh, figuring out what your steering angle will be if you do those modifications like that. And, you know, the way I think Jeff did it kind of the same way, you can go about figuring out the geometry, but what I think both of us did was pack something together, stick it on the car, and see what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Like, if it doesn't yeah. fucking work, it's tacked on. Hammer it off. Yeah, and Grind you know, it, it can be tough to do if you're working in your driveway on jack stands or whatever. We're both lucky enough to have lifts. I assume uh, you guys have been there, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the driveway same. on jack stands. Yeah, same here. In my dad's gar- on my dad's inclined fucking uh, driveway. So yeah, it's been yeah, hard. we're both lucky enough now to have access to the lifts, and he's got the alignment rack at the shop that we can use. And yeah. So you know we're able to to cycle everything and go through. Like the other week, I was making a change to mine, and I took my spare tool cart and put a piece of plywood across the top of it. Took the spring out of the coil over in the front and set the car down on top of the toolbox so I could see bump steer and the uh, angle changes and everything as I was cycling the wheel from lock to lock. Um, worked really well for me, but you know not everyone has the, the space to do it. But yeah, it, just tack it up, try it, see what it looks like, cut it off if it doesn't work. Yeah, just I, I, I agree with that. Because a lot of people don't don't want to do it, don't want to deal with it. You know, we you know, we all have friends who start overthinking something and go down the rabbit hole, and six years later, they still don't have a car. But they've figured out where that one bolt needs to go. Don't fucking do that. Don't be that guy. <laughs> Dude, that's the worst. I have people at work that, like, overthink the simplest shit, and I'm like, you're never going to make anything here. Yeah. One, one of my favorite jokes with some old friends of mine was a, uh, a grinder is just like a wrench... A grinder is to a weld what a wrench is to a bolt. So just weld it on. If you got to cut it off, you can cut it off. I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's funny. That's funny. I'm, um, I'm, yeah, this this has like been the worst down season for me is starting, basically starting over with a new power plant. And uh, how far along are you with that? And what what's your projected completion date? Especially since you just said what it was April that you guys are starting in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, March thirtieth is round 30th one. So we were we were very very hopeful if things came together and we got some back sponsorships that would uh, we were gonna make on one, um, but the reality is that you know it's not gonna happen. We uh, just got a part that we've been waiting on as of last week, so and we've kind of been waiting on that to finish up a lot of the exhaust and you know fuel lines and all that because it it'll locate the engine a little bit more as far as the angle of it. Um, because not only are we swapping an engine that ain't supposed to be in the car, we're swapping a transmission that isn't supposed to be made into the engine or in that car. So, um, basically, I'm, I'm, we've had fun with the the S2000, and the original intention of campaigning that car was to prove how capable the S2000 itself was, and I think we've done that um, by being able to put that car on the podium several times, in with an S2000 engine, trans, diff, it all. Exploded. Um, I never exploded a diff. <laughs> don't, don't don't put that on me. So um, <clears throat> and now you know we're looking onto the future of you know 
what direction we want to take this. And um, for me, it's I, I'm going to build a Pro 2 car. It might not have the horsepower that it needs at this point, but or the parts, but the overall goal is to have a Pro 2 car. Um, not even, you know, even if we don't go run Pro 2, we'll have a car that is capable of being legal for Pro 2. Um, so at this point, we decided to go with a, a bigger engine. Um, I wanted to keep it in the Honda family just because I think that's what really makes this car stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that. I like that you're doing that. Yeah, so we, we went with the uh, the J-Series. Uh, wanted, I mean, overall, the whole deal is we've been lacking torque. Um, it doesn't hurt us in the lead. It hurts us in the chase whenever we've got to check up really hard on somebody. Um, I, I would like to think our car is pretty damn quick, um, and it seems that way. So whenever we do have to slow down to when we're chasing a slower car, um, it did hurt us with the turbo lag, even though we minimized it, it still was hurting. Um, so we've been looking to ways to kind of get some more mid range out of the car, um, for that, whenever we are in the chase position and have to check up really hard. Um, so we decided to go with the V6, it'll still be boosted. Um, we're going to run a Nissan, uh, 350Z, 370Z trans behind it. Um, just cause I've. I'm tired of breaking and depleting the market of the S2000 transmission. Um, you can't buy parts formerly anymore. Uh, I think I bought the last input shaft, main shaft that was in the <laughs> U.S. Um, a couple years ago. So I need to move away from it, um, that transmission. Um, I'd like to go to a GSR dog box, but it just ain't in the budget at this point. Hey, quick um, uh, oh. question. Yeah. Okay, so what is it? what is it about the GSR that's not in your budget? Um, so to get a GSR into my car, it's about nine grand okay. to get the Nissan trans into my car. It's only about three. Okay. So, oh shit. Let's yeah. <laughs> okay. And then hang on after the Nissan trans, you have to spend nine grand again to do the dog box. Correct. Yes. Do but the... that yep. nine grand that I don't have right now, I have the three grand right now and it can give me back driving. Qu- next question. What if you spent... What is what, okay? How much is the transmission for just the transmission alone? Which one? The Nissan Trans you're talking about. I picked mine up for three hundred dollars. Shit, and that's <laughs> you're still gonna <laughs> you're still gonna spend another uh, twenty seven hundred bucks on top of that. Yeah, clutch is a problem. Yeah, the twin disc sucks. A custom clutch sucks. <laughs> Fucking. You you know how many people are putting uh, CD 009s behind J series and rear wheel drive applications? Um, One. him, him? <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff is doing. Uh, the reason the reason I'm, I'm asking the reason I'm asking is because um, if you're getting prepared, I would I personally would recommend to do an old four speed, like right, yeah. With the side. so here's here's the problem with the S two thousand chassis when it comes to doing anything other than the GSR or a sequential. So the S2000 chassis is very unique in the way that all of its strength and rigidity is through the center of the car. It's called a, it's an X-frame, if you will. So the, the frame rails come from the front of the car, they meet together, and then they separate on the back of the car. So talking with, I was going to do, because I have at my, uh, my need, if you will, a Jericho uh, four-speed side shift, um, looking at putting that in there at one time, it was only going to run me about a thousand bucks in parts, 
Um, talking with Chris, he said, don't do it. Um, so he originally had a side shift trans in his pro car and they had to cut so much of the frame rail, if you will, or the, the, tu- the tunnel of the car out to get the shifter in there that he actually twisted the chassis. Yeah. So that's not really an option when I'm trying to keep my chassis integrity. Yeah, the, the, so. t- the trans tunnel is structural and only about six inches wide because the S2000 yeah. trans is about the size of a beer bottle. Um, so he doesn't have space to fit a side shift box in. Uh, so anyways, that's yeah. that. Um, so yeah, moving on to all of that. I forget where we were in the actual part of this conversation before we went off on transmissions. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. But I keep trying to talk him out of that Jericho so I can use it in my car because my trans tunnel. I, you don't got to talk me out of it. You got to talk someone else out of it because I'm not fit, using it. I can fit his car into my trans tunnel, <laughs> uh, so I have space for it. But yeah, I just, uh, haven't gotten there yet. But yeah, so there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of initial fabrication that has to go on to get this up and running. Um, the good news is, so a used S2000 engine would have ran me anywhere from 1500 to three grand. Um, a used J series that you can buy out of a minivan out of any junkyard is anywhere from four to 500 bucks. Okay. So that cuts a huge cost on engine failures out of the way. Um, and they, the people I've been talking to says that the stock block can handle probably up to about 450 foot pounds of torque before you need to actually throw rods at them and start worrying about sleeving or anything like that. I think if we go to the point of, you know, six, seven hundred horse, then I'll probably have a sleeve block with, you know, a nice set of BC rods. So. You, I, I can't for those. Yeah, for yeah, but for for our series and the tracks that we run, and the majority of the tires that everybody runs, I think the sweet spot is about four to five hundred horse for our series. And that depends a lot on whether you're NA or turbo. Um, the turbo cars seem to like having a little bit more horsepower, running you know that four fifty to five hundred, whereas an NA four hundred to four fifty car is pretty comfortable on all our tracks. TMS, you're pushing it a little bit, especially in a car as heavy as mine, but, uh, you know, 400 horse 240 on Texas Motor Speedway or any of our tracks is plenty. Hmm. Uh, what other local tracks do you guys have? Do you guys only do uh, Texas Motor Speedway? So that's the only real road course we drive. Only real competition road course. That competition road course we drive. Um, we do two events a year in a parking lot. Uh, down here south of Houston. Um, we do two events a year in on an old airport um, apron uh, west of Fort Worth. And then... Uh, it is kind of a road course. Well, and then HPD. This year we're doing uh, two events, one or two events at the Houston Police Academy uh, driving track, which is kind of a uh, oval with a figure eight and a... a piece around the outside, but uh, no real banking on it. It's all flat. 
and then we do testing at uh, MSR Houston on the road courses there as needed or as wanted, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a nice point of working at a racetrack is you do have a, they are kind enough of me to allow me on the, uh, the road course after hours for drifting. And that some parts of that track are really rowdy. Um, a few years ago, we did some full course drifting on that track and you, Coming up the back straight, we were fifth gear in the 410 rear end uh, V8 240 and grabbing handbrake and throwing the car in in fifth gear, um, which was you're hauling ass at that point. You're well over 100 mile an hour in fifth gear. Uh, it was all the way down to all the way down to a 90 degree right hander, <laughs> which you have to go through in second. So it was fun. No. Uh, yeah, there was, uh, there were I'd a lot of a, I've had crap. a lot I would have a lot of shit to figure out in between that. <laughs> From fifth gear to fucking second like I only got four, so I don't even know how I'm getting into fifth. Yeah, you that that corner, uh most people won't drift it, but uh if you do you have to be in overdrive pretty much to pull it off. Oh uh, hell no. Pretty well. And a lot of commitment. Yeah, no, a lot you, of commitment. You cannot lift. And you know, Texas Motor Speedway is a lot of commitment as well. Um we run Texas Motor Speedway the old FD way from, what, three years ago? I think that was... Three or four years ago? 11 and 12. Yeah. So we run in the straight through the chicane and then down into the sweeper uh, backwards to how they currently do it. And in my car, it's grab gears, get to fourth gear as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, a little bit of, little bit of handbrake or a little bit of handbrake makes my car happier. A lot of people clutch kick in. Um, but the way my car is, it prefers the handbrake. And then you are foot through the floor in fourth gear through transition and then stretching it all the way down the power alley. And if you come off throttle, you're going in the dirt off the back. Um, and the problem on that track is if you go off that edge of the track, it's a six inch drop to gravel. So, uh, we've had cars break knuckles in half, blow airbags, break wheels, uh, break suspension arms. All sorts of things off that drop. Uh, and then down to third, grab handbrake transition uh, and set up through the sweeper. So it's it. there's a lot of commitment into TMS, um, and any lack of commitment will punish you pretty hard, which is – it's good. It's fun. Uh, it's the most fun track of the year for sure, but you uh, definitely have to just drive the car. Hmm. That's I I kind of want to get down there at some point and drive that place because it looks extremely fun. How many times do you guys run the FD layout, if at all? We have not run at the current FD layout Le- at all. Okay, which one have you guys ran? The current FD layout hasn't been ran, but I'm sure you guys run an older FD layout. I yes, the old FD layout we, is how we always we run, run 2012 layout. I don't I don't know 2012 layout. So know, 20 it'd be 2011 because we run the outside. Yeah, the, so the, you start the, at the. You start at the opposite end of where FD starts basically now. So you have a run-up that'll get you anywhere in the neighborhood of, I'd say, 95. They were they were radar gunning people. 100 mile an hour. Uh, 95 to 97 uh, the last event. So. Damn. And then and then you'll pitch the car into a the chicane. Um, 
what we call is the chicane. It's basically the the little left right transition for us. Um, and then you'll run the touch and go, which is the curbing on the outside. Uh, I think FD used that same outside zone in its current mm-hmm. is it current configuration. Um, so you run that touch and go, then you bring the car back across the track to the other curbing, where you'll run the entire outside zone from there. Um, and it, the the biggest thing with this layout is you can't throw a whole lot of angle on the car really quick. Otherwise, you scrub too much speed and you won't be able to make it to the end of the track. So you got to bleed angle in, and then you let the car transition. And then you'll bleed angle in again. Um, and then basically as you near that outside zone, you crank in basically as much as you can to get the car slowed down so you don't go off the end of the track. And then you'll just kind of hold it on that outside line around the track. Mm. I'd have to see the track to know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, just, yeah, just YouTube it. Everybody likes YouTube. <laughs> uh, I don't. Yeah. Think, yeah, really? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like learning things on YouTube, but I, I'm actually not a fan. Like, I, I made YouTube two, I made two I... YouTube videos, and that was it. That was it. as far as I got on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I made exactly. one, and I'm going to delete it. So <laughs> I decided that involved way too much time, and I'm never going to do that shit again. No, this, dude, this, just, just, just uh, this here alone involves too much time. But <laughs> I actually like it, and it kind of helps some people, so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll keep doing it. Oh. I, I can't stand vlogs. That's like uh, I can't sit down and wa- I barely sit down and watch like actually produce TV. I can't sit down and watch somebody walk walking around with a camera talking about their day, even if they're drifting. Uh, I don't give a fuck what you did. Like you're just another person to me. Like it's yeah. just I honestly so, don't give a shit who you are. Like it doesn't matter. You're not doing anything that's that exciting. <laughs> so the question is, are, are you are you drifting because you're on YouTube, or are you making YouTube videos because you're drifting? Chicken or the egg, and it's a it's a different answer for most of them, but it's, it's uh, I, I that's a that's a great question. That, damn, that is a great chicken or the egg question. <laughs> yeah, Robbie nailed it one day. We were at the shop, and our, our buddy came by that ran our series with us for a little while. I guess you can call him a buddy. He's a an acquaintance. I guess Tommy would put it as an acquaintance, not a uh, friend. Mm. But um, so he came by, and he's like got all this camera gear because they have, we had some eight six event going on at the track or whatever. Yeah, and he comes out and he's talking about all this YouTube stuff, and Robbie nailed it. He's like, "Hey, you remember when all our friends want to be race car drivers and not YouTube celebrities?" It's like, oh, that's ex- that's exactly why I don't want to get on YouTube. And I understand like, that the today's demographic and market is that's what they're looking for. I get it, but that's. But I don't know if they really are. I think that's just the current demographic that everybody's supplying. And I I, don't know I, I won't have I don't want to have anything to do with it. Like it's. I don't watch other YouTubers' videos of how they went drifting. Like, I don't give a shit what you did. You know what I mean? Because I'm a driver myself, so I want to know what... Yeah, and, you know, if I see a well-edited sort of cinematic video of an event, especially one that I was in or something, yeah, I'll watch it. Uh, You know, like, there was a great video done in round one when you were against Josh when Dion shot it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you were driving. Oh, yeah, that was that event. I was on fire, man. Yeah, that was... Yeah, when you ended up second... um, Damn we had a, you know, a guy who's basically a professional videographer shoot the shoot the event on a red camera and slow mo and the whole thing, and he did a great job editing the video. I mean, it was beautiful. You, uh, uh-huh. 
but I, I wouldn't go watch just like somebody walking through the pits or going through their everyday life. There's, there's a, yeah, I won't do like a, like a singular type deal. So there's a, they're not my sponsor, but there's somebody I do kind of work with and I kind of hope to continue to work with into the season. Uh, Wisdom Productions. Mm-hmm. They do. The, oh, dude, Wisdom does great stuff. I love their yeah. stuff. Have you seen like their, like they kind of have like this cinematic, um, presence to their videos of drifting and i and i really like that so i'll go watch their video because they don't typically make like they won't make like a 10 minute video they'll make like a three or four minute video yeah it's perfect yeah for me i'm the same way i'm like okay i'll go watch these because i really like this um but when i you know uh i don't i don't want i don't know what other drivers are doing for their fan base if they're just sitting there and telling them what they did, like, oh, I this is my drifting event. Here's some coverage. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that. Like, that's that's not for me. And I get some sponsors want that. And that if it's if it's like something that's required by a sponsor that I have, that's not a sponsor I want to work with. Yeah. Right. So uh, don't do anything you don't want to do to please a sponsor. If it makes you way out of something you don't want to do, like, just don't fucking do it. Yep. Unless no. it's unless, unless they're paying unless, the whole ride and you have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they're gonna pay for the whole shooting match. So, yeah. No. That's, and that's what I was saying earlier. You know, like in the beginning, you know, I kind of went after whoever would would listen to me, and then, you know, the longer I've been in this, I've decided to you know kind of carefully pick who I want to work with, um, due to you know their ideals and how, you know, make sure that we're gonna be able to you know collaborate and actually work together instead of like. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. No, we're not going to do that. You know, it's, it's you know, everybody. Uh, Evan is a great one uh, with Careless Original. He's a, kind of a lifestyle brand. He does clothing and a bunch of other stuff. And mm. uh, I originally had walked up to him and was like, hey, like, do you mind if I grab a sticker? You know, I like your kind of stuff. And uh, he was so appreciative for me to run a very small decal of his company on my car. And the way he kind of reached back to you know, his customers and everything else was, was really influential to me. And I, I, I was like, I want to work with him. And, uh, I kind of went to him and I was like, Hey, like, I want to work with you. Like, I'm not asking for a sponsorship. I'm asking for a partnership and I'm not asking for like just this year, like we're going to build something together. That's going to go on for a long time. And, uh, he's been, you know, a huge help for me to help have marketing merchandise. Um, that I've put together and, you know, been able to use his resources and use his help, um, to kind of have that. And, and we've worked together for got a number of years now and, you know, we really value each other's, uh, commitment to each other as far as, you know, the partnership we're producing, um, that I'm able to help market his company and, you know, he's helped able to help me have a marketing standpoint in merchandise of, you know, producing t-shirts or keychains or, you know, whatever, um, die cut vinyls, you know, people go crazy over stickers and it's such a simple and easiest thing to do. Um, but, and that's just kind of the direction we've gone. I've always tried to make sure and let him know that I, you know, I really appreciate him giving me the shot to work with him and everything else with that. And I, I try to make sure I do that with all the companies that I'm involved with, you know, Apex, um, does the same thing. Um, White Pony is a new one we're, we're bringing on this year. They kind of came out to us, and uh, they're going to be a big, big part. And I think 
in the future as that company grows and grows with us, I think that's going to be a huge thing to come across as well. Um, and especially like for even you, like the everyday person, that's a cool product um, to put out there just because it is, uh, you know, anybody that works on cars or anything like that, they, they spill shit. You have oil spills. You, you know, you're taking the diff out of the car. You fucking think it's empty and you, you crack the case open and now you get oil on your floor that you're going to have to be laying in because you're working on jack stands, you know? Um, but that's a really cool product. If you get a chance, look it up. Uh, it's super affordable and does an amazing job. Uh, we're making a diaper blanket for Robbie's car. Well, not anymore. Your power steering problem's fixed. But. Yeah, no, we're just going to make my car continuously, uh, continuously drop white pony dry out from underneath the chassis because, um, so a little backstory on this. Last year, I went through five power steering pumps in four rounds. Um, really yeah so we had a little problem one with the amount of RPM we're turning question into... did you do it on a stock uh, Camaro pump yes yeah, so I was using Camaro pumps with Corvette pulleys and um, the the stock rack and everything uh-huh. the problem as I found was when I, I sort of autopsied the last pump I exploded um, the problem was most likely I, I, so I only paid for one because I was cheap and bought a O'Reilly's rack uh, pump um, with a lifetime warranty. So I kept getting new or you know, replacement ones for free. When I took the last one apart, what I found is when they reman them, they're not quite right. Um, and so when you put a lot of pressure on the system, they lose, uh, they gain a lot of in play because the internals shift around a little bit. And it's like losing the side seal on a rotary. It just doesn't make pressure anymore. Um, and with the steering ratio I'm running and the, you know, drifting and everything else, uh, we were just putting too much pressure on them and they were coming apart, sort of. So this year, actually, Jeff and I are both running uh, electric power steering pumps, the same electric power steering pumps. Um, MR2? Uh, Aha, no. Nope. Which ones? Mini Cooper. Holy shit. Okay. Is that higher PSI? Uh... I have no idea. Um, I've never heard of the Mini Cooper one. I've only ever heard of somebody running an MR2. So now... Exact same. Uh, I'm Chris, going to be looking it up. Yeah. So uh, we, Chris Jenner had actually introduced me to the Mini Cooper pump. Who? Somewhere I have... Uh, if you need it, I can find it for you and I'll send it to you. Somewhere I have the full specs on the Mini Cooper pump. Okay. Um, Which Mini Cooper? There's obviously more than one. Any of them. Any Which, Mini shit, they're all the same? 2008. 2009, they went to full electric racks. Y'all, uh, any Mini Cooper before 2008 has an electric power steering pump, and they're all the same. Okay. Huh. That's good and to know. Because I got cars. one that's on the way out, and I don't know if it's going to be worth it for me to, to uh, do a rebuild or get a remand one or just replace it anyways or just to get electric. So the only things you really need is you need the pump for the Mini Cooper. You need the pigtails for the electrical connectors. And then you need the pressure line. The high pressure line. Um, you can't just get like an AN line adapter? Well, so what we both <laughs> did is cut the... There's a hard line that comes out of the pump that's part of the high pressure line with an O-ring fitting that kind of bolts down. Um, and someone actually asked me the other day about making just a, a block to take an AN line to go into it. But the what we both did, and the easiest thing, is to take that, that high, the hard line off the high pressure... And cut it off and have a shop either weld or braze a uh, an A-in fitting onto that high-pressure line, onto the hard line. 
mm-hmm. and then you can just run AN from there down. Okay. Um, did that. The suction side of the pump, the low pressure feed side, is a 5 8 uh, slip on with a hose clamp. So a uh, 10 bush lock works perfectly. Um, and that's how we're both set up running to a reservoir with a dash 10 out. Okay. And then wiring the pump needs 100, either 70 or 100 amp fused uh, constant. Oh, shit. Uh, a heavy gauge ground. And then. Uh, there's two wires that have to go to switch power. You flip the switch on, the pump comes up in about 10 seconds, and you're good to go until you shut it off again. Hmm. And, and, and for... Hmm. Damn. I think I'm going to get one. They're 190 bucks shipped. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... It's, they're a hell of a lot easier to find than an MR2 pump. Do you yeah, know, do you know how much it costs for me to replace my pump? It's like two fifty. Mm-hmm. I may as well do this, and I can get it. Fucking, I could probably have it in the car for two fifty and never have to deal with it again. Yep. And and you want to run it to non-ignition? Just run it to your. You want to have a battery power, mm-hmm. so that way, when the car's off, you can flip the switch, and you'll have power steering if you ever need to push it or tow it anywhere. Yep. I like the way you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see. That. Okay, I just have to. You know what? Fuck it. Yolo. Uh, this is two hundred yeah, bucks. Oh, and the bracket that comes with it. What I did on mine is I. There's three studs at the bottom of the bracket that it's on. I cut the welds and knocked the studs out. Question: Did you guys mount it up front or in the back? Uh, I mounted mine on my uh, passenger side frame rail forward of the engine. Jeff's is in front of the radiator, and I just helped a friend install one in his trunk. So. Um, the only problem with putting it in the trunk is he needed like three hundred dollars worth of AN lines. <laughs> I got an AN line sponsor this year. I was uh, say you got an AN line sponsor. I heard in one of the episodes. I did. Yeah, uh, if you got that smaller. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know I made the mistake of announcing some things too soon because some things may change. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's how it always goes. That, that's why I'm holding off on two sponsors that I just picked up. You know what? Uh, uh, so I have product in hand. Wait. Yeah, that's that's what I learned. I jumped the gun, and I may not go with one of them. Um, the uh, uh, the Mini Cooper, you'll find a lot on the internet. The Mini Cooper guys say the pumps are terrible and they overheat and whatever else. Fuck but them. Not the, for problem with the Mini Cooper is the factory location for that pump is between the rack and the oil pan underneath the header. So it's probably just getting fucking extremely hot. Right, they have and a not, computer fan mounted under it to yeah. cool it off. It's so, got an air duct and a computer fan on the Mini Cooper to try to fucking cool it off. And the air duct just sucks water in from the road into the fan and kills the fan. Yeah, I got a radiator going in the rear. I'll put that bitch right in the front. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Yeah, so as long as there's a little bit of airflow to it, it's fine. It works great. Huh, that's good to know. Because I actually... Oh, shit, I cut mine off already. God damn it. Um, <laughs> the, on, the, on the front on the front of the CTSV... Um, front subframe there was a mounting plate on the on the passenger side for a uh, abs uh, their abs uh, unit and i already cut mine off i was like abs is gone bye i might yeah. have to find another place to mount this but you know what i think i'm gonna do it because i need the i need the damn pump anyways and it's the same it's the same price mm-hmm. and it might be just it might just be more worth it because i could fab up uh, I, yeah I mean, I've never had a hydraulic rack. I came from electric rack, so it just—I I really like the electric pump. 
Hmm. I gotta find out what the specs are though. Uh, I'll find them and send them to you. It's coming, not, it's coming from your hood too. Yeah, and if <laughs> not, then uh, I think Chris Jenner has a way of bumping the pressure if you need more pressure. Yep. Yeah. But all right. Uh, it's been a long episode. Holy shit! It's been a very long episode. <laughs> I just noticed that. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing. Uh, maybe not for everyone. So. Uh, for people who want to follow you, maybe reach out to you. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, the best way for me is through Instagram at driftdk, um, and I'm very good at answering messages. Um, if you message me, I'll, I'll usually answer, get back to you within that day, if not the following. Um, and like I said, any questions, anything like that, I'm more than free to answer. I have. I'm not trying to hide any knowledge or any secrets of what I have. Yeah, and same for me. If anybody needs to message me um, or send me. You know, a lot of people aren't going to realize who you guys are just based off your voice. So you might want to say like, hey, Robbie or Jeff. <laughs> well, obviously, uh, Drift2K is Jeff with the S2000. Okay. Uh, and then uh, me and the Camaro, being a fifth gen Camaro, my Instagram and my Facebook page are both at uh, fifth drift, 5th Drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like he said, uh, I always have my phone on me and I always get the messages. So, uh, uh, other than, you know, crazy times at work, I would pretty responsive to, uh, messages and anything else. Uh, but yeah, and you know, we'll beat all the events this year with, uh, apex on the cars, careless on both cars, white pony, white pony on both cars. Um, probably, uh, MSR. MSR, Cabo, uh, Cabo Clear Lake on the cars. Um, but yeah, any questions about anything? I'm going for a real subtle look this year with my car. <laughs> going to do subtle very well, Jeff. <laughs> but hey, man, I want to thank you both for being on the show. Um, Thanks for having us. You guys actually had yes. a lot of info, and I, I think that's good. It's a good conversation. Um, if you guys ever want to be on the show again, you guys are more than welcome to be. Uh, I'm probably going to hit you up after you guys' first round to see how that went. Absolutely. Um, well, his first I, round will be eventually. Okay, real quick here. So I know I'm in the same boat. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to try to make it out to round one if Robbie doesn't keep me away completely. So, <laughs> yes, every time I've ever broken anything, Jeff's car was either broken or not there. Um, so and he was there. So like when I wrecked the 240, Jeff was there without a car. So whose uh, fault is that? <laughs> not yours. I, I'm blaming Jeff. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, let's see, I rod knocked an engine when Jeff was there without a car at round two last year. Um, I broke a control arm when Jeff was there without a car at round seven. Hey, I'm just going to say this. I don't think Jeff should be there when you're competing, bro. That's a lot of shit tends to happen when he's there. It's actually fine if he has his car. (laughs) Oh, so bring his car on a trailer. Uh, yeah, we not... did that round one, and everything was everything was good when we just took the car and parked it in the pits. Yep. Hey, how about you do that just in case? Uh, I'd have to pull the engine. You know, yeah, I can't. I, I know. <laughs> there's something really cool brewing that I've not posted yet, and it's not going to be revealed until that car rolls out to its first event. I can't wait to hear about it, man. 
it, it'll I think it'll have Instagram buzzing for a little while. <laughs> That's well, an understatement. <laughs> well, I I can't wait to hear what you guys got coming this season. I uh, I wish you guys both the best. Uh, maybe even a Pro Two license if you guys are definitely gonna go for it next year. Uh, I think the goal next year is to make a trip out to California. Yep. I think that's our, our main goal. You know, I want to travel more too, so we'll see. Shit ain't cheap, man. No. Hell no. <laughs> Enjoy the gas prices when you get here. Yeah. Right. yeah. All right, man. You guys have a good night. You too. Right, thank you for having All us right. on. Bye-bye.